Welcome once again to the Fifth Observatory. My name is Jed. Still, I haven't changed it yet, and I can't think of anything better to call myself for the moment, so you're stuck with that. Okay, well, and my name is Anthony, although, um, well, speaking of names, um, yes, my name is Anthony, that is my real name. Um, as previously established, I do have birth certificates to prove it and so on and so forth. Um, however, to the ladies and gentlemen watching this or listening to this at home, um, my surname's Treasure, and everybody calls me Treasure for short. So instead of saying my name's Anthony from now on, I shall be saying my name's Treasure. However, Jed, because he was introduced to me as Anthony, has always called me Anthony, and it's like um, he has an allergic reaction if he tries to call me Treasure. So he Trej, Trej. To call me. I can't, I can't say it. I just yeah. can't say it. The tongue, the tongue. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, my name is Treasure. Okay, so I will respond. To, I will respond to Anthony if you see me in the streets, and you know, or you know, dickhead, whatever. That's fine. So. <laughs> I, I would I prefer Treasure, though. Mm. I, on the other hand, never respond to anyone in the street because I spent my entire life growing up having people yelling things that are unrepeatable, even on this particular channel uh, in the street. And that's when they weren't throwing bricks at my head. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and we're not going to talk about that because that, that's the depressing side of, of where we used to live. So, um, mm. but yeah. So, <laughs> hello. How are we all doing? Are we all, are we all, I hope. All of our listeners are finding this uh, this podcast in a in a happy, healthy state of mind, you know, etc. Uh, you know, hope nobody's nerd raging too much about all the many crazy things that have been happening in the world of nerd over the last yeah. week, or, um, or indeed uh, nerd raging at our previous opinions that we've um, you know <laughs> spouted on this uh, channel. I mean, to be fair, if you were nerd raging at our opinions on this channel, you either you're either here to troll us, in which case. Thank you. The engagement is wonderful for our numbers. Keep it up. Or you're here to support us, in which case, thank you. The engagement is great for our numbers. Keep it up. Either way. Either way. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, but yeah. So thank you to everybody who has been watching and, and commenting so far. It's been well appreciated. Uh, I actually had a friend of mine uh, tell me that he has he's seen the podcast, as in he's seen that it exists. He hasn't had the chance to sit down and listen to the full thing yet. Um, but uh, he, he made a point of saying to me, oh, there's going to be a, a new trailer for the new Wizard of Oz reboot thing that they're doing whatsoever. And that he'd be interested in coming on and discussing it because he's far too into the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, which to be fair, having had that conversation with him, I can believe he's far too into the Wizard of Oz. He he's, he's, does a lot to do with it. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm quite into the Wizard of Oz. In the, um, you know, back in the olden days when I grew up, Back when I were alive, we didn't have uh, streaming services and stuff like that. And um, back before DVDs even, VHSs used to cost uh, ooh, an absolute fortune. It used to be like £20, I believe, for a VHS video copy of the film, um, which back in old money was like, you know, 60 quid or may as well have been, to, you know, day, today's money. So what you used to do, if you wanted to watch a film or re-watch a film, is you'd have to videotape it off of the telly. So you get VHS, tape it off the telly, you'd watch it again and again. And uh, one of the films that we had when I was a kid, was the old Wizard of Oz film. So uh, growing up, The Wizard of Oz is a film that um, it was a big part of my life because it was one of the few films that I could re-watch whenever I wanted. So I had Wizard of Oz, um, Superman 1 and 2, the old Christopher Reeve one, and uh, the Indiana Jones films, um, Goonies. <laughs> and um, that was about the, the extent of my video collection. Uh, There's a worse video collection. Yeah, but not like nowadays, though. So like, what's your video collection? Well, I've got Netflix, I've got the um, you know, Disney Plus, I've got Amazon Prime. So, yeah, it's not quite the same, is it? 
No, no. I mean, I stopped buying DVDs around about the time we got a Netflix account, to be fair, because like there's some stuff that's worth owning, but it, increasingly we found that we were buying DVDs that looked good, but actually you watch them once and then they sit on your shelf forever. Whereas yeah. nowadays, like the stuff that you can watch on streaming services, and if you really like it, you'll buy the DVDs, you know? Like that's, I think, the way it is now. And that, that's honestly... That's, that's kind, of, um, kind of how I do it as well, Basically, got especially around around our way because uh, obviously you and I live in different towns and cities at the moment. So where you are, there's a couple of different cinemas, so they kind of compete with ticket prices and stuff. Whereas where I am, we have just the one cinema, and they don't give a shit about ticket prices because they know they're the only cinema in the area. So um, for us, it's massively expensive just for one ticket. Never mind two tickets for us both to actually go out and you know see a film in the cinema. So what we would do is instead take our cinema money and invest that in a couple of DVDs. But then we found, as you've just said, we were constantly buying DVDs and then being really disappointed. And then they just sat on the shelf and don't get rewatched. So then we changed it to, okay, so we'll get Netflix. We'll watch films on Netflix and, you know, Amazon Prime and all the rest of it. And then that's basically our cinema money or our DVD money instead. And then if we find something that we really like, then we'll get the DVD because then you get all the extra footage. Well, Blu-ray now, they don't do extra footage on DVDs anymore. They lie and say that there's not enough room on the DVD discs, which is absolute bullshit, because they used to be crammed with extra footage until they came out with uh, Blu-rays. And now everything's on the Blu-rays, and they don't put anything on the DVDs to try and make you to buy the more expensive Blu-ray discs. And they lie to you and say, sorry, we just can't fit this on the DVDs. And I call you a liar and shout bullshit in your face, because I've got a copy of Shaun of the Dead that's got like five different you know, audio commentaries on it and, you know, about five hours worth of extra features on one disc. And it, oh, I, it gets me I have, oh, Sorry, go on. I have, so I have Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan special edition. So it's got the extended edition on one disc and then it's got a disc two, which is just like, like easily a good three, four hours of extra features. And it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So I, I entirely see where you're coming from with that one. And I think, yeah, it is. I think it's a sort of combination of, yeah, they want you to buy the more expensive Blu-rays. They also want you to buy the more expensive Blu-ray players. Yes. You know, because a Blu-ray player is more expensive. So, so we we circumvent that by having uh, Xbox Ones. They play Blu-ray. Yeah. PlayStation 4, same thing. Um, well, back in PlayStation 3. Anyway, but, um, but I suppose my wider point is the cinemas in our local, local area are ripping you off just because they can, charging, you know, they literally charge double the ticket price to what I can get in your city. When we came to visit you over there in Hull, we were able to go to the cinema together and it cost the same as what it cost for one of us over here. That's how much they're ripping us off over here. So we're getting ripped off in the cinema over here and then we know full well that we're getting ripped off with DVDs and Blu-rays because they're putting all the extra footage on the Blu-rays that they don't have to do and they're claiming it's a necessity to make you buy it. So I'm sort of feeling like, well, I'm, that's making me not want to buy your products because I know for a fact that you're ripping me off basically it's, um, it's contempt it's contempt for the consumer which yeah. to be honest i would I, I would say contempt for the consumer is alexa stop <laughs> my alexa was just okay so i set. i have a migraine today or i had a migraine earlier today and i set a, an alexa alarm for the four hour mandatory period between uh, paracetamol tablets so apologies uh -huh. if you could hear alexa going off in the background dear listeners and viewers uh, but no it's 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 i mean the thing that we could sort of briefly, we're going to briefly touch upon, I suspect, when we start talking about the various geeky stuff that we're going to talk about uh, this week is, we, we touched upon it a bit last week, we touched upon it a bit the week before, is contempt for the consumer. 
you know, that increasingly seems to exist in these big corporations. And that's, it's a depressing topic, but it, it, the thing is, I have not spent years and years looking into this stuff on the internet, and I still feel the contempt for the consumer. So God only knows what happens if you actually sit down and think about it for too long. Yeah. But anyway, so before we, before we get into that, like, uh, like really fucking depressing thing, <laughs> what have you been doing this week, Tresh? Oh my God, it still <laughs> sounds weird on my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what have I been doing? Um, oh, crikey. Well, I was finishing off the... Um, there's, well, yeah, finishing off work on the, the Doctor Who fan film scripts I mentioned last week. Uh, that's been coming along. It's difficult because um, what we also need to make clear is that we have full-time jobs and then we do our other, you know, filming stuff, whether it's The Handmade Rockets, um, our, you know, our own original series, or the Lungbar Brothers Doctor Who fan films, which we're returning to this year simply for the anniversary year. Um, but whether we're doing, whichever it is we're doing, we're doing that in our spare time. That's outside of having full-time jobs, outside of having children and you know partners and everything else that we want to do. So it can be difficult finding time to do these things. So I have been uh, doing a bit of the Doctor Who fan films um, uh, this week. I've also been uh, looking up some props and things like that as well. I've also been going back and looking at some of our other stuff that we can't talk about because that's Handmade Rockets, which is original footage, uh, original stories. So, well, we can talk about it, but it'd mean absolutely nothing to if I said, oh, I've been looking at Danica. What is that? Nobody else knows. You and I know what that means, but nobody else out there knows what it means. It's just just some woman's name to everybody else, which it kind of is. But yeah, I've also been working on Josephine. Ah. See, when you say it like that, it just sounds like you've been doing some stuff that your wife would not want you to do. It. <laughs> so, uh, you know, careful. This is going all over the Internet. Yeah. So oh, what have you God, been doing I'm this doing week? I've been mostly doing Josephine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, dear. Oh, dear. So, um, yeah, that, no, that, yeah. yeah. I knew there was a reason <laughs> I told my wife not to, not to watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know what would be really funny is if your wife was actually in the room right now. <laughs> no, not at the moment, actually. Unfortunately, she's at work. Um, she ah. does uh, late shifts, and so she'll be coming back uh, usually sort of as we're wrapping up this so uh, she may come in uh, not realizing that we're filming and walk in realize we're filming and walk back out again so if you hear the dog go and you know that's all it is but, yeah, that's what i've been mostly doing then um, looking back over some script stuff and looking at some props as well making some props and bits and bobs like that i've been studying painting actually because uh, i used to do a lot of miniature painting and for one of the, our series coming up uh, we have some um some model work which needs painting so i've been going back to so I was a decent painter, but I want to make sure that this is like, you know, this is going to be like, you know, on film, on camera. It's not just painting models for tabletop gaming. This is going to be, you know, it's got to, it's, it's got to work on the TV screen. So, yeah, I've been going back and studying up on some painting techniques. It's been a long time since I painted as well. So, uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Uh, yourself? Okay. So, let me think. Uh, I've been working on... Okay, so... This is going to take a little bit of context for, you know, all of you folks at home who don't know the first thing about me. So um, basically, for a long time, for like the last six years, I have been off and on working on a massive collaborative fanfic. That went slightly to shit. I had a massive disagreement with a couple of the people working on it. Um, and not really, strictly speaking, related to the massive disagreement, but sort of in the sense that, you know, it, it partially exacerbated the desire to do so. Uh, I wanted to, because what I did with fanfic and what I've been doing with fanfic for the last five years is basically I completely ignore whatever the show 
it actually does, especially since I've been doing My Little Pony fan fiction, which the show does not have a back history so much as it has a this happened 1,000 years ago, this happened 1,000 years ago, this happened 1,000 years ago. You just like the number 1,000. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I invented whole back histories and whole like civilizations and whole character motivations and whole swathes of stuff that... I was about to say would fill a fantasy novel, except that I wrote about 150,000 words of, of fan fiction. So it was a fantasy novel, practically, or it was as near as damn it, a fantasy novel. Sounds like you're um, Silmarillion. Sort of a bit. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, so basically I, I wanted all that material back. I'm taking that material back. It's in the process of being removed from that collaborative fan fiction now, or at least it bloody better be. <laughs> But, um, you know, so it's in the process of being taken from that. And I have been working on reworking that into an original story, which is simultaneously a lot harder than I thought it would be. And also a lot easier because, I mean, for one thing, uh, the story in question was a crossover between, you know, the high fantasy or pseudo high fantasy world and a modern day setting. And what I ended up doing was I find the modern day setting boring in and of itself i'd filled it you know with you know people with powers and, and weird supernatural shit and i thought oh i have a bunch of stuff sort of in my back catalog of supernatural super powered stuff i'll bring that in so it's now a fight between what is effectively a superhero world and this fantasy world that i'm reworking from sort of bits of background and, and re-knitting into whole cloth yeah. so to speak um so that's been fun. It's been difficult, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, it, it's sort of because of the nature of... Okay, full disclosure, as a creative person, my mental health is this side of fucky. So uh, be because of the nature of... Because of a bunch of different things, uh, working on this story, even though I'm really enjoying it, even though it's a lot of fun, uh, the normal, like everything I do is shit thing that happens to every creative person ever is sort of exacerbated by the various um, things that surround this. So in addition to having to rework this thing, I've had to deal with thinking everything I do is shit. Everything I do is even shitter. Uh, these people are going to not give me my stuff back. So it's even going to be shitter and I'm wasting my time. Uh, none of this is anywhere near as good as when I first wrote it. Ah, so, uh, <laughs> all of that, all of that has been sort of, uh, all of that has been sort of, and you know, I think, I think every author probably has to deal with that to some degree or another. But it, it's obviously again exacerbated by stuff. Yeah. So you know, that's uh, <laughs> fun. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I mean, in general, apart from that, uh, catching up on a few things. I spent. So one thing that I do is because I'm a composer, I. Uh, I compose the music for all of our Doctor Who fan films and all of all of our handmade rocket films, etc. And it's awesome. I, I do like to hope it's at least good. But <laughs> recently there was a recently there was a, a Doctor Who fan film project that I can't really talk about who they are because it's all like they don't want anything spoiled or anything. But they were in the market for a composer because their composer had sadly had to drop out for a variety of reasons that I'm not privy to. But my understanding is they just dropped out because they couldn't do it anymore. Um, so. That composer dropped out. Uh, they posted as asking for a new composer. I commented saying, I can do it. Uh, I sent them a bunch of my stuff. They were like, this is great. Can you do Dudley Simpson? 
Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Dudley Simpson was the composer for Tom Baker's era of Doctor Who, give or take. So he started out in like the Patrick Troughton era, but a lot of his most famous tracks are like Seeds of Doom, that sort of thing. No, not Seeds of Doom, but like uh, uh, Ark in Space, stuff like yeah. that. So I spent, I, I spent a, a good long while trying to f- capture that sort of 1970s Doctor Who sense. Uh, it's helped that I've I bought a few like orchestral music packs to sort of play around with. So that's helped a bit. But so I can do music. All right. I, I, I flatter myself that I can do music, but I have never tried actively emulating another person's musical style yeah. before. And don't get me wrong. Right. Don't get me wrong. Especially the people who make that thing, because it, it's a damn fine fan film. Like watching it, it's a damn fine film. They've done an excellent job of recapturing that 70s feel. Um which is especially impressive for me to say, because normally I don't like watching fan films that are trying to pretend to be existing doctors. That's not normally a fan film genre I enjoy. So they've done an excellent job there. But um, I spent all of yesterday scoring and then rescoring this, this episode that they've sent me, you know, so basically like scoring to picture and they sent me like a, a, a time coded picture. So it was actually really easy to time code my music properly, but like they sent me this time coded thing. So I, I scored to that and then I watched it back and then I was like, actually, no, delete that entire track, uh, rework that entire track to make it softer and start some musical instruments later. And it is some of my best work ever that I've done, I'd, I'd like to hope. But that aside, it is also some of the most difficult work that I've ever had to do. And I literally, I did more than a work day's worth of work, just sat on my computer screen with my iPad here, my keyboard here, the music and the music and the video in front of me, and I was just trying desperately to get it to sound right. And truth be told, truth be told, I don't know if I can do it. In terms of the actual like level of skill that I have, I don't know if I'm actually capable of doing it. I'm gonna keep on trying. I'm gonna keep on trying, but I don't physically know if I'm good enough to do it, which which is an unusual feeling. It's an unusual feeling because uh <laughs> Um, normally, normally when I'm doing stuff, I just have to make good music. That part, it's not easy, but it's just making music. All right. I don't only have to think about making good music. I have to think about making good music. That also sounds like a completely different guy with completely different training and experience and skill sets and tools and everything. Who's been dead for like half a decade or more, you know? At least, I don't know when he died, but Dudley Simpson died, like, I think either late 90s or early 2000s. But the point is, I have to make my good music also sound like it's his kind of good music. And I'm, it, it's, I sound like I'm complaining about the job. It's, it, it's, it's a really great project to be working on. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm just really worried that I'm not good enough. So that's been, that's sure, been fun. I'm sure you are, because I know that, you know, from the stuff that you've done with me, and the one... <laughs> The one good thing that about you and your style is that your well not your style, so your your skill set and the tools that you actually use is you're very versatile. So I know when I've worked with you, I can come back and say, Oh, this part about ten seconds in, there's a note that goes do do do. Can it go da 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 instead? And you're like, Yeah, no problem. And you know, like less than a minute later, you're sending me back an updated version. So I would I yeah, I've got absolute faith that you'll be able to do this, man, because even if it doesn't sound one hundred percent how you're wanting it, you'll send it off. So like, okay, is this okay? And they'll be able to come back and say, almost, but there's this bit and that bit. Maybe if that's changed, it would be right. And you'll be able to sort it that way. So, yeah, I've got no doubt in my mind you'll be able to do it. Absolutely be able to do it. Um, yeah. Oh, I, and also, I appreciate that. 
also when it's released uh you'll have to once once the actual episode is released this is going to be tied to you'll have to let us know and we can maybe review it on this show that would be that would be really cool i mean the one thing that i have gotten out of it which is really good is uh i've been playing around as i said with orchestral stuff and like the one thing the one sound that i absolutely missed from our long barrow brothers days so Okay, this will take a moment to explain. Back when we were doing Long Barrow Brothers, I composed our music. Everybody at home saying, come on, we want to hear about Winter Soldier. Ooh. Yeah, well, you know what? There's a skip button, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and others. All right? If you want to go on the timeline and drag it forward, you can do that. We will not judge you. Okay? Thank you. But this is my Wednesday evening, and if I want to talk about timpani sound, I will. Because that's the thing. <laughs> Back on, back on my old keyboard, which I used to record our old stuff, which was yeah. shockingly limited, like six tracks, terribly like MIDI sounding, you know, but yeah, it had it a really good. nice... It was yeah, good, it had a really, it was always good, yeah. But it had a really nice timpani drum sound, like, like proper timpani drums, and I missed that terribly. I really love timpani drums. And I have a timpani drum sound on this new app! A proper timpani... No, I don't only have that. I have timpani. I have timpani roll, which is like... I have um, I have hard timpani, which is just like the really solid boom. And I also have deep percussion, which is like orchestral percussion, big drums. So I have very versatile percussion and brass now. I have Wagner horns. I have a euphonium. Euphonium! It's amazing. Like, like properly. Like, I will, I will legitimately have to send you some of the stuff that I've been working on because it sounds... <laughs> Really damn good. Like, 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 leaving aside whether I'm worried it sounds enough like Dudley Simpson, genuinely, I feel like this is some of the best work I've ever done. So I'm, I'm proud of it from that perspective, you know? So, um, anyway. Uh, sounds good. Yeah. I've, ha I've had a couple of other, like, like, I mean, I could sit here for the next half hour talking about all my various existential crises, but you are not my therapist and the audience are not my therapist. So, you know, onwards to stuff. So the first thing that I'd like to talk about really quickly. <laughs> We forgot about one of my pins from last week, which is Game of Thrones season uh, seven and eight, that I wanted to briefly talk about the problem with that. So it was, it was, part, of our, it was part of our polite disagreement about, uh, you know, the nature of investing in characters in an anyone can die scenario, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So the problem that Game of Thrones has is this. First six seasons, pretty much anyone can die, right? Give or take. Yeah. Anyone, anyone can die. You know, it's not predictable. It's, it's very, you know, clever. You get to season seven and eight and suddenly, no, anyone cannot die. It, it, it suddenly jumps from anyone can die to yeah. people, are, people are only dying at the most predictable moments possible for them to die. And here's the thing. I feel like that's the worst of both worlds. Because the thing is, for me, I was talking about how I really liked in Star Trek Deep Space Nine when Jadzia Dax died. Because that, that's stakes. That's like, you weren't expecting a character to die. So when a character dies, that's deep and powerful and impactful. Okay, so that's the way that I normally like character deaths, you know? But equally, I imagine if you like an anyone can die scenario, like, okay, imagine that you're watching The Walking Dead, all right? And, and for like the last seven or eight seasons, yeah, you've known that there's a couple of people that it's never going to kill. But realistically, any one of these fuckers is dead at any time because that's just the nature of the beast. Okay, yeah. now, now imagine that you have two seasons where nobody is dying except at the most boring moments. Suddenly, every one of the major characters has super plot armor that's getting them out of these ridiculous situations. And it's like, you know, I don't like anyone could die, but 
Game of Thrones sold itself on that. So to go from that to something completely different, yeah, it, it, it it's the the issue with Game of Thrones, which is the same thing that the issue I have with Game of Thrones is they overtook the books. So then once the TV producers took over, it became a standard TV show, which you know. As you say, hero armor, predictable plot, you know, deaths and all the rest of it. You know, when it was based on the books, that's when that, that's when it was gritty, that's when it was unpredictable, that's when the characters actually had character. And then once they overtook that though, um, yeah, that's when it started becoming you know predictable and everything. And it's not just in the deaths, but yeah, in, in everything. I mean, things like the entire first season, like almost the entire first season or the first half of it. Is like traveling from Winterfell down to King's Landing. It took a fucking ages for them to get down there. They're camping all the time. Yeah, that was half the season just traveling down there. By the seventh season, it's like, oh, we need to get to the other side of the country. Next scene, they're at the other side of the country. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. That took like five weeks in the first series. And it just, everything changed. And it's once they overtook the books, where the books are sort of like taking it serious and thinking like, right, how would you get around in this world? What would happen? So, you know, it's a dangerous place. You could just get attacked by bandits so we throw in a couple of random things and it just yeah all that just got chucked out so it just went for standard tv producer fare so i go i go i go one further actually and say any moment where the, they diverged from the books is when it became so for example uh dawn everybody who likes game of thrones complains about how the show handled dawn because you've got okay so we're the sand snakes and we're pissed off that oberon's dead and we're pissed off you know, that, you know, we don't get to avenge our family. So what are we going to do? We're pissed off that, you know, Oberyn didn't get to avenge his family. So what are we going to do? We're going to kill the rest of Oberyn's family. The fuck? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going to kill the rest of Oberyn's family. Yeah, that's not going to fucking, that's not, that doesn't, that makes perfect fucking sense right there, doesn't it? You know, like, like in the, in, in the books, there's a whole arc, you know, in yeah. Dawn. There's a whole separate thing going off in Dawn that is really I intricate and clever. Um... So I've never read the books, but I know that there's a lot more to do with um, the, uh, the the what they call them, the Sand Snakes, is it? The, yeah, yeah. The, the daughters of Oberon. Mm -hmm. um, I know that they're, I know they're much bigger. They've got bigger parts. Whereas in the TV show, they just stand there and go Ooh. and die. And die. Which is, <laughs> admittedly, admittedly, by that point, I was sort of willing for them to die because it's just like you're shit. You're awful characters. Yeah. Off you may fuck. You may fuck yeah. off now. Bye bye. Bye bye. So. You know, that was, yeah. that was fun. Um, we've got a, I mean, we, um, uh, during first lockdown, talking of DVDs, we started getting the Game of Thrones DVDs to, to look through. Um, and we sort of like got to, I think, season four, I think it is. And then around about season four, we thought, right, this is around about the point where the TV producers started really taking over. It's not where they took over in the books, where, you know, where they overtook the books. But by this point, they'd sort of started diverging with different characters. So going forward, that's where it was like massively different from the books and so on. And you could really tip, you could really see that the TV producers were having more of a hand in it as opposed to sticking faithful to the books. And I'd say that was when the first lockdown happened and we've not gone back to get the next few Game of Thrones DVD box sets since. So yeah, and that wasn't a conscious thing really, thinking back on it now. It was just, we got to that one, it's like, oh, we finished that one. So yeah, we'll get the next one, we'll get, you know, next get paid or whatever. And we just never went back to it. So that's a subconscious thing. So if we've done that in our subconscious as you know, as fans of the show, then yeah, I think that's uh, for us where it went down after, mm. after season four. Mm. I mean, I mean. Anyway, so that's just uh, my little thing that you know sort of finishes off that discussion from last week about about plot armor well, and, and bullshit like that. Well, so. also going back to last week though, is um, when we're talking about um, uh, American Gods, 
Right. When we were talking about American Gods last week, I got my dates mixed up. I thought there was one episode left of the season, but it turns out the last one that I talked about last week, that was the season finale. So I was like, when I realised, you know, so I was looking forward to the big finale, so this big thing happening on the big finale, and um, uh, no, it's not. So I was like, you know, that's a bit frustrating. Um, and, and now then, it's been cancelled, so you're never going to get the story! <laughs> uh, and uh, Neil Gaiman himself, who wrote the original books that it's based on, uh, Neil Gaiman actually said that if it doesn't get picked up again, or, you know, they're talking how it may be made into a film, or, you know, some kind of like a miniseries or something like that, Neil Gaiman has actually said that if it doesn't get picked up again, the finale as it is, it's probably like ended at the most frustrating place possible in the books, it's like... You know, you know, just playing the story I've seen on TV, and he's right. It's a really, really fucking frustrating place to just stop. Um, but yeah, but I still stand by the prediction of if it was to continue into the next series as planned, I believe it was going to go into uh, the main character Shadow Moon embodying the old African gods, taking on the European gods who, of course, enslaved the African people back in the day. And I think that's the path that it was going forward with season four. But that's just my prediction. I mean, to be fair, like you've you've read up on that stuff to do with um, Orlando Jones now, and and sort of why he was yeah, let go yeah. From so, the I show. That as well. so, so when you mentioned that last week as well about you know the guy being fired for being the angry black guy, it's like oh that sounds really bad. That sounds you know it, it kind of is. But when you said that last week, it sounded like you're an angry black guy. I don't want you here. You're fired, kind of thing, which is not quite what it was. It, it was the character they felt that he was playing the character the angry black guy, which is a bit of a racial stereotype. And they felt that that wasn't the message that they wanted to show in the show. And so they decided, instead of fixing the problem, they decided to just get rid of him, which is possibly not the best way to go about it. I mean, the thing is, you... okay, so there's two points that I'm going to make here. Well, no, there's three points that I'm going to make here. The first of which being a disclaimer. We are two white dudes talking about this. So two, uh, our perspective yeah, our perspective is also, um Also, we're two white dudes who come from a you know, Yorkshire mining town in, well, Yorkshire, uh, we're not we're not American. We're not black. We don't know the whole African American experience, so it's a bit. But at the same time, so there's two there's two very important things to sort of point out here, which is first off, yeah, maybe that is a racial stereotype, but you know, it was a racial stereotype where this guy Orlando Jones was a producer by this point. He was reworking that, so I feel like yeah. if it if it's a stereotype, you know, it's clearly not one that he was uncomfortable with. You know, so I feel like I feel like. If that was the problem that they had, you know, yeah, I, I feel like was... I feel like a, a sort of I feel like a sort of you know, it, it feels like a white bloke turning around to a black guy and say, but this is the thing, this happens quite a lot. So, for example, it's like when Joe Biden, oh, I'm getting political now, but it's like that thing of Joe Biden saying to that guy, "Oh, you ain't black." I don't even know the context of that comment, but it's just like that makes me a bit like, dude, you're an old white dude. Who the fuck are you to tell this guy that he's not black just because you disagree with him? doesn't make his identity less valid. Well, I, you know? I haven't seen that story, so I couldn't mention on that one. But, uh, but yeah, so by all accounts, it's a guy who came in. But it needs to be established as well. This is season three of American Gods, and they've had three showrunners. So that kind of shows you what behind the scenes is like. And it's the third showrunner when he came on board. He, um, Orlando Jones actually said, uh, you know, in, in, a, in the comment he made in the press, he was saying, uh, he's this Yale-educated Yale person. He's a very intelligent man. And he came in and said that, you know, when he took over, basically said, this is not the path we want to take. This is not the, you know, this is not the stereotypes we want to show on, on our show. It's not, you know, I don't think it's right for America um, uh, in this time, which he may be right about, but 
I believe it's still better to address the, the issue and try and fix it in the show rather than just, we don't want that, you're fired, get out kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think it's a, it had the best intentions, but unfortunately it's come across as having the opposite effects of what, you know, the what show actually wanted. It, it, com- it comes across as more racist than, than yeah. racially sensitive. I mean, the thing is, though, is that interestingly enough, it's the first of two big moments where that sort of, we don't want an angry black man thing has popped yeah. up because, you know, I think, I don't know if I mentioned where Ray Fisher, Ray Fisher complained. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one of the things That's... Jeff Johns did was said, we don't want an angry black man. So, so I, I, yeah. All right. The, the we, thing is, I, like, mean, I don't think that's even fair to describe, you know, Cyborg as we've now seen the Snyder cut. I don't think that's a fair description of Cyborg in the film anyway. So it's, I, I mean, I mean, if there's, if there is a less stereotypical portrayal of a black character in a fucking movie, that it is that it is going to be fucking hard pressed to find because that was I saw, okay, I saw practically no racial stereotyping in that whatsoever. I could be wrong about that, but I saw nothing yeah. in there that yeah, was a, again, a racial as, stereotype. As a white dude from a Yorkshire mining town, I didn't yeah. see any that I'm aware of, other than maybe you know he's good at sports and there's a stereotype of you know sports being full of black guys. Hmm. But um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think. Yeah. It sounds like it had the best intentions, but it ended up having the opposite effect. And it's that, you know, racism through ignorance of, um, you know, you really should educate yourself. But, but yeah, so what I'm saying, though, is fix the problem because it's different. If you're writing the show from scratch and saying, right, maybe this is a character we don't want to do, fair enough. But when you've already got a character that is this thing, to then just remove them from the show and have them absent from the show, it's, you know, where's that guy gone? Because, you know, for a lot of people watching, that guy represented them. You know, and I don't mean, you see, even just, you know, sitting down and saying, oh, no, the angry black guy, he wasn't just that. You know, he was a full-fleshed-out character in the show, so he's not just that. And, you know, and also, he had every fucking right to be angry. He's not just an angry black guy. He represents the, you know, the African people moving across and the old African gods, and he's representing them, not just being angry about slavery because it's something that happened to his granddad or great-granddad, he witnessed it happening to his people. You know, so- there's a scene. I, 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 I looked up a few scenes of the character around about the time that he was actually fired. And I, isn't one of the scenes him literally talking to a bunch of guys being shipped in the actual time itself? There's a time. There's a, I think that's there's a flashback. One, yeah. yeah. So the thing is, like, you know what? That is absolutely like that is absolutely something that needs to be talked about. Yeah. You know, like like awareness of history, awareness of the way that it still affects people. Like, yeah. you know. Absolutely. If it's and and certainly if it's something that the actor was comfortable with to the point of accepting that producership role, then absolutely again that is something that he should have moths. Yeah. Sorry, I, I just sorry, moths ate one of my favorite coats. So every time I see a moth, I feel the need to but um they ate one of my favorite coats. I have no mercy. Not so, that um, moth, no, probably that moth though. So anyway, my poor Sorry, that was a completely random tangent. My point, my point is, you know, like clearly Orlando Jones really liked playing that character. Orlando Jones didn't see anything, you know, racially insensitive about the angry black dude he was playing because clearly there's passion in his performance. There's passion in the way he talks about it afterwards. So what? I mean, it sounds. But you know what? Like... You know what though? You know what though? I wasn't there. No, I wasn't there, and I'm not a black person, so I don't fucking know exactly how bad it is and i am not going to sit here telling people how bad it is i'll let i'll let i'll let black people tell me how bad it is yeah in that instance because they know you know yeah no that's uh, absolutely i think that's fair enough um but yeah um i think we can uh, 
now that the show's been cancelled, especially, I think we can sort of move on from that one anyway. But uh, but yeah, just for anybody who's um, a fan of American Gods and like, what you mean it's been run by racists? No, no, it's not that. <laughs> they meant it in a different way, but it went another way, and it's like, a, oh shit, what the fuck have we done? Kind of situation. Uh, mm. No one comes out of it um, looking good on that side of things. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so that was American Gods, and then of course it's been cancelled. But you know, fingers crossed, it might come back as a film or something like that and get tied. I up. mean, in in this in this age, there's nothing there's nothing stopping it from getting picked up by Netflix or something similar. But, so. Yeah. <coughs> um, so Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I actually sat there. I didn't watch. I didn't watch full episodes. I've watched bits and bobs of it. Um, okay. Enough to okay. Enough to not really be interested by any of the character stuff, and enough to. Okay, so there's one specific scene that I want to talk about because it just it, it exemplifies everything wrong for me with Marvel. Okay, and it's all. Is, is this episode one or two? Two. Two. Right. So it's the scene where they first meet Bucky and um, Sam, where they where they meet up, and uh, so it's a very serious scene. You know, clearly Bucky is pissed off that Sam gave away the shield. Well, then for some weird reason, it, it segues into it's one of the big three and, it, and this yeah. really weird meta conversation in which, you know, OK, first off, huge nitpick. First off, who, who the fuck? I don't believe for a second that Bucky Barnes is a Hobbit fan. I do not believe for a fucking second that this is the sort of guy who thinks back in 1930, whatever, I'm going to pick up a copy of The Hobbit. That's totally on my fucking radar. I do not believe for a second yeah. based on what little we know of this, yeah, like, admittedly, very fucking... Going back to uh, when we saw him in the, you know, first, you know, Captain America: First Avenger, um, yeah, he didn't seem as that kind of guy. He seemed more like, um, let's pick up a girl and go to a dance kind of guy. Not, you know, let's let's hunt the, the copy of the Hobbit. Yeah, a children's book, a children's <laughs> book. Also, 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 he did not read that in 1937. He's American, unless for some magical reason he picked it up in Britain. All right, it did not come to America until 1938. Get your dates right, Marvel writers. You hacks. Uh, joking aside about that nitpick, though, it just like that scene <laughs> sort of exemplifies. Like, I'm sorry, you're having this really serious discussion about the shield and legacy and the nature of what it means to you, and now you're talking about Gandalf. What the fuck? Yeah, you know? yeah, the actual Yeah. <sighs> I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's it's literally what we were talking about last week, which is. Hello, we're Marvel. Here is a nice, really serious... Oh, we're undercutting it. Here is a nice, really serious... Oh, we're undercutting Well, again, again, so, <laughs> so I don't know which parts you saw then. So in episode two, there's also a bit where they sit down with the uh, psychiatrist mm. um, and they have the counselling session. And instead of it being something where it's like deep and well thought out and, you know, they get to the depth, you know, the bottom of things, again, they go for, you know, they react like children and, you know, start messing about in, you know, in the psychiatrist's room um, or the counsellor's room. Uh, again, I don't know if that's a part that you saw, but that's, an, yeah, it's another example where it could have been, I mean, they did sort of like, you know, get across the thing of what they're feeling, but it was done in a really juvenile, childish way. And it's, again, nothing of undercutting or undermining the situation. So instead of getting like deep down ways that's bothering these characters, uh, instead you get them just dicking about, in, you know, with a counsellor and messing about and not being able to take it seriously. And, uh, you know, it's like they're doing this thing where it's supposed to like, stare at each other and then by looking into the eyes of the other person you sort of like start to take on their feelings this is a real life thing that you know psychiatrists actually use and instead they turned it into just like a staring contest and it just you know it's like stupid like that it just yeah it just makes it makes it really stupid makes it i can't take it seriously and that's the problem for me is 
when they're inserting all these bits of humour, it's not that I'm against humour, it's that when it's constantly being inserted in every single scene, then it's a suspension of disbelief gets ruined for me. So obviously, you know that you're watching a film, you know that you're watching a TV show, but you have the suspension of disbelief. These, these actors on the screen, you're seeing them playing these characters, so you're seeing these characters. Well, as soon as you start seeing them doing what's obviously humour or attempts at humour, for me anyway, instead of seeing the characters, I just see the actors just dicking about on screen. And it just totally breaks that fourth wall. The suspension of disbelief's gone, and I'm not involved in the story anymore. And it's fine. Fair enough, if it's like a full-on comedy, that's a different thing. But when it's something that's supposed that's to not. be... Yeah, when it's supposed to be, no, no, this is an action series with humour. They said, well, how much humour? Because I am not much humour in, but that was like coming from the character. That was, you know, Tony Stark being witty, being sarcastic, showing his intelligence by, you know, his, his witty barbs. But, you know, when it's just every single character saying silly things and silly situations... It's like, yeah, no, you're just undermining the entire show. Suspension disbelief's gone. And all I'm, all I'm doing is like looking at the CGI and judging whether that's any good or not instead. I think part of the problem as well is it's this thing that sort of increasingly happened with genre television basically since the 90s, which is this is genre TV, so we can't take it seriously because yeah. it's inherently ridiculous. Okay, so one of the big criticisms that's labelled, for example, at the DCEU is oh, why are these people all so serious? Don't they know that they're just a bunch of guys in tights? And I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you cannot think like that, all right? If you are telling me that you as a writer are incapable of taking this situation seriously because of the genre, then you as a writer should off your fuck and let some fucker else write it, frankly. All right, this is me getting angry about this now, all right? Because seriously, I am sick to the back teeth of hearing, oh, it's just people in superhero costumes. You can't take it seriously. The fuck I can't take it seriously. Some of the most serious fucking shit I have ever read has been superhero comics, all right? You fucking sit down, all right? Read The Death of Superman, all right? Fucking serious shit. You read All-Star Superman. Fucking amazing. Like, I was reading All-Star Superman the other day. Some of the lines from the DCEU come directly from that. It's beautiful. Yeah. All I mean, right. I mean, just look at like the basic setup of Batman. You know, kid sees his parents murdered in front of him. What the fuck? I mean, That's speaking the of Batman, then you've got the story. I don't know if you ever read uh, Death in the Family. I mean, it was, you know, Jason Todd gets killed. I mean, the way he gets killed is brutal. And it's sort of, as you read it, you're like, fuck me. And, you know, and that's when you, oh, know, I, you really see the Joker is like fucking, that's why people are scared of the Joker. And it's like, yeah, you know, but, but, uh, you know, but Batman's a man in tight. So, you know, that's, you know, we can just laugh about it, can't we? <laughs> yeah. But the thing is like, like you read, like, for example, I read um, the Batman who laughs, which is a more recent one, which is Batman versus this version of Batman who's been infected by Joker toxin and turned into the next Joker. And it's this horrible, terrifying combination of everything insane about the Joker with this yeah. very scary notion of, this is Batman, the guy who always wins. It's fucking terrifying, all right? And the thing is, Batman is infected throughout with this same toxin. He's turning into this same character. It is terrifying. It is yeah. absolutely terrifying. Yeah, that's one and the thing is, like, I really want to read that myself. No, no. And, and the thing is, for me, like reading that, the thing that's really tragic about it is throughout it, spoiler warning, other Bruce Waynes from other universes are being constantly brought in and every single one of them is happier than Batman is. And Batman, it, it's, it's being hammered home to him constantly. You are the worst Bruce Wayne. You suck. You are, you are every fucker's nightmare. Every single one of us would rather be dead than you. All right? Because you're the worst one. And like, I'm sorry, who the fuck looks at that and then thinks, 
oh yeah, what we totally need to do for the cinematic version of this character is, you know, make him lie on the ground and go, oh yeah, something's definitely bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry. I seriously, seriously. Like, like. I mean, it's not just look- DC in the comics, though. There's a lot of Marvel comics that are really dark as well. I mean, well, we could say about mm-hmm. pulling out, you know, examples of different comics that are quite dark. But, oh, the, point no, is, like- but the point is that the genre itself is. It's like, yeah, it's like saying, like, oh, the films, it's like, yeah, we can joke about it, blah, 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 because it's just a genre thing about that. Look at the comics. None of the comics, apart from Deadpool, are written in that way. You know, there's only, you know, there's only certain comics that are actually written in that way. The rest of them are taken seriously because to the characters, it is serious. It's like, you it's know, how can you take it seriously? Because to them, the world's going to fucking end, dickhead. Well, this is it. This, like, for example, um, here's a great Marvel one, The Visions. Uh, like the vision so it was from a couple of years ago it was about vision and his like robot family that he made up yeah and that shit that is shit is proper tragic so like over the course of these like 12 13 issues and stuff visions okay visions wife his robot wife that he made all right who has free will so she chose to marry him but she kills herself at the end of it spoiler warning she dies in his arms you know it's and his, his son gets murdered by his nephew you know so it's like it, it's it's proper, it's proper yeah. terrible. No, yeah, it's it's really, yeah. it's really fu- like. Here's the thing: Vision's son gets murdered. I don't know what's his name, Victor Mancha. I think he's his. I don't know how the robot relationships work. I think he's meant to be like Vision's brother because they were both made right. by Ultron. Right. Uh, Vic- Victor Mancha accidentally kills Vision's robot son. Like, and 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 this is the thing: it's this really tragic moment. And yeah, sounds Vision. Good. No, and Vision. It's one of the best moments in, in comics in my, in my experience. Vision goes to his wife. You know, I've been running out. I can't say it the way he said it because obviously he has a particular way of saying it. But he basically goes, I've been running over it in my head. My son is dead. Victor Mancha is alive and he's probably not going to be executed. This is not justice. I'm going to go kill Victor Mancha. And then the next issue, all of the Avengers are in front of the prison where Victor Mancha is. Vision lands and he's like, I'm going to go talk to Victor Marcha and then I'm going to go kill Victor Marcha. Your assistance in this would be greatly appreciated, but I do not require your assistance. And then he proceeds to take apart all of the event. I'm talking Lady Thor, Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Falcon, Scarlet Witch, all of them. He takes them a fucking part. And it is legitimately tragic beautiful and and you are telling me you are telling me that you cannot take these stories seriously because it's characters in tights fuck off sirs and yeah. madams oh. fuck off <laughs> oh the other thing as well if you can't take them seriously because it's characters in tights ha ha yeah that's a nice glib, you know comment um take them out of the tights you know like the when they did the x-men film for example you know, one of the things that they did with that, you know, no matter what you might think of the film, is the thought, we can't have them in spandex, we need to, you know, give them these leather outfits, we need to make them look real. You know, the recent um, Marvel series that were on Netflix, you know, you've got your Jessica Jones and your Daredevils and all the rest of it. Again, they didn't give them ridiculous costumes. The only, only Daredevil actually got the costume in the end, which, to be honest, is when it started looking ridiculous. You know, the first series with Daredevil, you know, he looked a lot better in his, you know, Black Mask version of the costume. You're right there, dear. <laughs> Anybody else listening on the podcast podcast and not watching YouTube? uh, Mrs. Rhodes is now crawling around on the floor. It's in the bread bin. Eleanor put it in the bread bin. (laughs) (laughs) 
sorry, just a bit of an interruption there. I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen and, and others. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so as I was saying, though, but it's like, but again, you know, like Jessica Jones, when she came in, Jessica Jones had a similar situation in the comics where she was like brainwashed and sent to kill members of the Avengers. So she was sent up against, uh, you know, the Avengers. And, and so that's where the PTSD comes from in the comics, which is then what they drew on in the TV show. But, the, you know, they changed the background slightly, slightly. But it's still, when you actually look at the Jessica Jones background on the TV show, it's like, yeah, Dark. she was kidnapped, brainwashed, and fucking raped for God knows how long. I don't think it's established just how long she was actually under, you know, Killjoy's, you know, uh, control. But yeah, that is fucking bleak. And that's why she drinks as well, which also is, again, something that bugs me about then the later Marvel series is then they turned her drinking into a joke. You know, it, it, like literally making gags about it in like, the later episodes and later series. But the first one, it was a legitimate reaction to this traumatic experience. But, um, but yeah, you don't have to... You know, you don't have to make jokes out of everything. You don't have to insert the humor. And I mean, this is this is this is one of the things I like about the DCEU is that you know, for the first few films, so you've got Superman's outfit is an outfit that's a Kryptonian clothing. All right, yeah. so that's literally how Kryptonians dress. It's a bit more colorful than how they dress, but we can attribute that to it being a thousand-year-old ship. So you know, it's got some outdated like like everybody was dressing in colors a thousand years ago. <laughs> you know, similarly, you've got Batman who. His outfit is, that's tactical fucking Kevlar. And yet it looks closer to the comics than any outfit these characters have ever worn in film. But it's still Kevlar. It still looks like it's something yeah. designed to take a pounding. That's a practical cape that does the Arkham glidey thing. It's all practical stuff while still being shaped like a bat. You've got yeah. Wonder Woman who, that armor is fucking armor. It's not stars and spangles and shit. That's fucking Amazonian battle armor. And yeah, it's colorful. But actually, in, in Snyder filter, it's not that colourful. And it's about as colourful as we see the Amazons wearing it in, in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. So, you know, all of these characters, like, like again, Flash's outfit. You know, he's a kid, so he's put a few appendages and stuff, like the, the ears and the lightning bolt and shit. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's a homemade fucking speed outfit because his yeah. clothes fucking incinerate when he runs. That's it. That's you what know? I was just going to say. He had to do because, as we saw in Zack Snyder's um, Justice League, if he runs without a specialised clothing, his shoes burn off his feet, you know, and just disintegrate. You know, you know, Aquaman, he's wearing, you know, Atlantean armour, for yeah. God's sake. You know, none of these characters are wearing ridiculous outfits. In the context, those outfits make perfect sense. Similarly, in the Marvel films, you know, so you've got Thor dresses like an Asgardian warrior, you know, Captain America, that's a sort of weird combination of, you know, real-life military stuff, but also his Captain America outfit that they made yeah, the, the propaganda films the propaganda stuff yeah yeah so that's an interesting combination and i really quite liked that as a combination yeah. you know uh, then you've got iron man obviously that's fucking power armor for god's sake that's literally motherfucking power armor that's it, so, yeah, you know, you got, like black widow wearing like the stealth kind of you know cat suit you know you know like neither black widow nor um hawkeye are wearing like comic costumes they're wearing no. just like battle battle suits yeah later on vision vision's a fucking robot who's legitimately just emulating thor when he does the cape yeah so you know you know scarlet witch doesn't wear a costume quicksilver doesn't wear a costume you know um war machine is wearing the same sort of power armor that tony is you know falcon's just wearing his fucking flight suit yeah you know like like legitimately none of those characters are running around in stupid costumes yeah you know so, so, so yeah the whole point of the um this men in tights how can you take it seriously uh, I mean, the only, the only, the only one that's like le legitimately a bit silly, possibly, is Spider-Man. But again, that's still a very high-tech suit that he's wearing. Well, and yeah. before that, he's wearing a fucking onesie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 
that's the thing is it's it is the high-tech suits it's it's not it's not spandex you know that's specialized materials to protect it's also got like all the nanotechnology bullshit that's in there as well which i'm, I'm not keen on them doing that actually it's i know in the comics they at one point spider-man had like you know iron man stack technology on his suit and stuff but i would have preferred it for them to have brought peter parker into the mcu just as peter parker and his suit and his you know gadgets but um but yeah where they are now i'm sort of happy with it but it's just when they first you know in far from I mean, and stuff like that i would have preferred it to just be peter parker's own ingenuity i mean there are a lot of problems i have with peter parker in the mcu not the least of which is it's not really peter parker because all of the defining elements of peter parker's story are absent all right we don't get any any word about uncle ben We've never heard the great words about with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> All right. Like, 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 here's the thing, though. Like, you know, the, the defining motivations, the defining reason that Peter Parker is Peter Parker, as opposed to being any other person who's worn the Spider-Man suit, seem to be fundamentally absent. And that kind of sucks. Maybe we'll get more of that in the third one. It's kind of late now, you know. So, but anyway, so... Yeah, going back, in, <laughs> back to what spiraled this conversation originally, is uh, talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier, is... Um, is again, they had sort of the scene where they've obviously like thrown a lot of money at it to make it look very impressive. This time, you know, the fight on top of the trucks, you know, because you don't normally get that kind of budget on a TV show. Uh, so they spent a lot of money on it. And so what I said about the first episode about, you know, it's impressive if you're impressed by money, then again, it's impressive if you're impressed by money. However, looking at what they did with all that money, it wasn't impressive. It was predictable. It's been done before, and I didn't feel like they brought anything to the table. I was literally watching that fight and thinking to myself, any second now, the Falcon's going to fly under the truck. And then what did it do? It flew under the truck. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I literally just predicted that. I, I knew they was going to do it. It's, it's not like afterwards thinking, you know what, that sort of thing's been done before. I was watching it thinking, it's going to fly under the truck, isn't it? Any second now, going to fly under the truck, and it flew under okay, the truck. Okay, so, so did one of them get knocked off the truck and cling on really yeah. hard to the side yeah. of the truck? Yeah, that always happens. That always yeah. happens. I mean, to be fair, that was in the trailers, but okay. So to go from one slightly overly comedic superhero thing to another, the Suicide Squad trailer just dropped. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's, uh, see, this is one of those where if this was the first Suicide Squad that had been made and it was established it wasn't part of the you know, DC expanded DC universe, then, then yeah, maybe I could take it on a different level because this is this is slightly different because they are setting it up as right from the outset on the posters they're saying don't get attached they're saying right it's going to be a large cast because half of them are going to die it's a suicide squad get over it that's what they're setting up at the beginning so it's like right so this is going to be uh, yeah don't get attached don't get attached but um uh, but it's part of the dc expanded universe and you know what it looks like there's way too much humor in this they're really going for the comedy angle on it, and it doesn't really fit with those other films. Um, like Birds of Prey, they kind of did something similar with that, but Birds of Prey was told largely from um, Harley's point of view. So it's, it's her fucked up perspective that you're watching the film through, so you can kind of get away with it, whereas this isn't. This is us watching Harley Quinn as part of the larger ensemble, and it's supposed to be as it's happening, and all those gags are supposed to just be sort of natural and part of the world. So again, it's that thing of suspension of disbelief is going to be thrown out the window. So going into it then, it's, I think it's one of those things where if I compartmentalise, I probably might be able to enjoy it. So I know going in, it's going to be this level of humour. I know that already. So 
I can compartmentalize and sort of think like, well, okay, I'm just going to take it as its own film and pretend it's not actually part of anything else. And that way I might be able to enjoy it. But I think that's the only way I can enjoy it because I can't really enjoy it as part of the wider, you know, the wider DCEU. Um, and I certainly, certainly can't take it as, uh, you know, a, a sequel to Birds of Prey for Harlequin. Um, or even a prequel, we don't actually know just at the moment where it's set in her timeline. I'm assuming it's after Birds of Prey. Um, so, yeah, it's a difficult one for me. But a lot of people are sort of, you know, raving about it and saying, oh, wow, it's great, it's awesome, this looks amazing. And I'm looking and thinking, really? It looks kind of dumb to me. Yeah, but, okay, so I'm not going to comment on people liking it because, okay, first off, if they want to like it, fine. But, like, yeah, for me, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. To their own different things, but it's not just people saying they like it, but it's idolising James Gunn and deifying him and putting him up on a pedestal and saying, thank God, James Gunn's here to save us from the DCEU. And, you know, even in the, you know, they did a, not just the trailer, but they did a, like, behind-the-scenes trailer. And in that, they're constantly saying, like, you know, oh, James Gunn's bringing his genius and his comedy to him. It's, it's like, what? And he's, no, don't, don't let James Gunn bring his comedy to it. It's the DCEU, for fuck's sake. Okay, so there is one silver lining to it, which is that James Gunn has worked with Zack Snyder and respects the man. So... Who knows? Who knows? What well, we, we might walk into something that, for all that it's got James Gunn comedy, is still, you know, you know, pretty big up on, on fitting into Snyder's vision. Who fucking knows? I'm I mean, not holding my breath. <laughs> it's because I am a huge fan of the Alien films, for example. Now, Alien 1, you've got, like, the thriller and the trapped on, you know, claustrophobic trapped on the ship and all the rest of it. Aliens, like the second film, that's like Vietnam in space, and it focuses a lot more on Ellen Ripley as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you're getting a lot more character stuff from Ripley, and it's more Vietnam in space than the claustrophobic thriller of the first film. So you've got two films in the series, each one with its own tone. Then you get The Mess, which is Alien 3, which was that way. It was a script that was written and rewritten over many years by different writers. So elements were kept on and carried on, you know, and developed. And the producers kept coming in and saying, oh, add this, take away that. Add this. So the script was a total Frankenstein script by the time it got made. And they were still, you know, saying, add this, take away that. But you still got going back to the claustrophobic thing. But this time they're taking away all the power of having the troops there. So it's like, right, you've got to be ingenious and figure out how to get around this without having troops and weapons and guns and nukes. It's just you. You've got to get out of this. How the fuck are you going to do it? So it's on that level. You can sort of watch it from that for its, you know, as a different genre thing again. But my point is they've each got their own genre things. And then you get to the resurrection, which, yeah, for all of its faults, resurrection, it's, it's also it's like a comic book version of the alien universe. So it's like, I mean, it's, it's Typical Joss Whedon, yeah, it's just like the comic book tropes put on the big screen. Um, so if you're in the mood for that kind of thing, you've got that film there. But each film is its own genre thing, and it's like, which one am I in the mood for? But I can't really take them all seriously as an actual continued thing, but I can, again, compartmentalise and say, right, I am in the mood for the comic book version of Alien, so I'm going to put on Alien 3 now. But no, actually, I'm in the mood for something that's more like the old Vietnam films and that kind of soldiers going to war, so I'm going to watch Aliens. So in that sense... At some point, I will be in the mood for a comedy set in the DC universe. So then I will watch the, the new Suicide Squad and I watch it as that. But it's not something I'm particularly looking forward to. And I'm certainly not looking forward to it as part of the DCEU. But compartmentalised brain, I can watch it in that sense of I'm in the mood for a comedy set in that universe. So I'm going to watch, you know, Alien 4. I mean, the stuff I took away from it was it feels like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. 
And, and I, I don't mean that in the sense that it feels, you know, as good as Guardians of the Galaxy. I like, oh, I like Guardians of the Galaxy. I meant, no, it the literally just feels like, yeah, it, it literally just feels like Guardians of the Galaxy. It feels like I'm watching a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, the same tone, the same humor, the same color palette, the same everything. I like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I like Guardians of the Galaxy in the context of Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I, I'm not. Okay. I mean, I don't know how to really phrase exactly how I feel about it because it's like I watched it. Okay, there's some funny lines, I guess, but actually, you know, do I do I really think that this is a good-looking movie? It feels like Shazam did. It feels like, you know, to a certain extent, Aquaman did, though not as badly in Aquaman's case. It feels like throwaway MCU-style comic book movie. Yeah. And, and the thing is, one of the fucking reasons I liked the DCEU was you sit down to watch it because it's not just an MCU style movie. And mm. if there's one thing that, if there's one thing that we as an audience, I'm not saying you and I particularly, because we liked the Snyderverse style, style stuff, but like if there's one thing that the audience has done, which is really fucking bad for like diversity of storytelling in cinema is they've demanded that everything be like the MCU and the producers have taken that on board and they've been like, make it all like the MCU. So like, and here's the thing, like, for example, I'm interested in seeing Peacemaker, you know, because shall I tell you a fun fact? Peacemaker is the original character upon whom the comedian was based for Watchmen. Oh, right. So they yeah, were all based on Charlton. They were all based on Charlton characters, and Peacemaker is the Charlton character upon whom uh, the comedian is based. Uh, I right. think that's my understanding. So if you read uh, Grant Morrison's multiversity book, um, Pax Americana, all of the Charlton comic characters fill the roles of the Watchmen kind of characters. You know, so you actually have Captain Atom in the Doctor Manhattan role, for example. All of that is absolutely fantastic to see. And then we have Peacemaker talking about eating a whole beach of dicks. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, sure. Fucking whatever. Why the fuck not? Because, you know, okay. Look, and the thing is, okay, here's the thing. I don't give a fuck what DC puts out if they really want to put that out. But I say that because... If, for example, they were putting that out, but they were also going to confirm that they want to continue Zack Snyder's stuff and finish that story, for example. If there was yeah. a diversity in their storytelling, if we were in a situation where they were like, okay, we're going to let Zack Snyder tell this dark, gritty, epic Lord of the Rings-esque tale of the Justice League and, and all that surrounding shit. But, you know, it's a big DECEU, so we're also going to fit in, you know, funny comedy films about the Suicide Squad here. Okay, there might be room for both. But that's not the situation that we're in, all right? I can stomach the MCU and the formula of the MCU when I know that there's an alternative, when I'm in the mood for it, all mm. right? But the problem that I have is, and this one's going out to all the people who bitch about how dark and gritty the Snyderverse and stuff was, all right? So I, I hate complaining at people, but this, this really has to be said. You have your movies. <laughs> you had them. It's called the MC-fucking-U, all right? You want fucking light? frothy, quippy movies, you had them. <laughs> all right? All right? But I fucking wanted to see Dark Side and the war on Earth and the nightmare future. And I don't get to because of whiny piss ants like you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Seriously, though, I, I'm getting angry about it, but seriously. All right? There is room in the fucking comic book universe for all of this shit. 
Except there's not, because people are always bitching when anything is even slightly off formula. <laughs> Fuck off. Sorry, that's very, that's very like angry sounding, but like it legitimately pisses me the fuck off because there is every bit room for James Gunn to do this really funny comedic take on Suicide Squad. Because you know what? If you're not going to do a funny take on it, it might get a bit over serious that all these people are just going to fucking die. So you know what? There's room for a comedy take on Suicide Squad. There is not room for a comedy take on Suicide Squad. There is not is room the... for a comedy take on Suicide Squad if you've not got anything else. I mean, there is. There is one for the conversation, as you say, um, but again, there is something in seeing the trauma and people fighting to overcome that and actually feeling like, shit, I could die. You know, and then they're fighting, because when, when it's not taken seriously, the characters don't take it seriously. So when it's all jokey, yeah, they've just seen people die, but then they're carrying like, oh, well, I'm just going to carry on shooting and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 if it's taken seriously, they're seeing everyone else die and they're going, shit, I could fucking die. I'm really going to have to fucking fight hard on this. They're going to have to, you know, dig deep to, you know, get through the situation. Whereas if it's not being taken seriously, the characters don't take it seriously. They just carry on talking about eating beaches full of dicks. It, you know, it, it's, that's not what you do in a life and death situation. You know, it's, so yeah, that's the issue with it for me. But, but again, it's like, you know, in Star Trek, you've got the, you know, the lower decks thing. So yeah, you can have a comedy thing set in the Star Trek universe. Fine. But like you said, you need the other things out there as well. And yeah, and these, but unfortunately, from what the DC people are saying, you know, they're saying that there's no plans, no plans of continuing the Snyderverse, which basically means that they're going to continue down this path of pushing everything towards an MCU style. Um, yeah, and that did that did really fucking well for them. Yeah, so for, I mean, like, for like Birds of Prey, didn't they? That did really and, fucking well yeah. for them. <laughs> going to have to wait and see what the the new Batman film looks like. So, uh, I mean, fingers crossed on the limited footage we've seen from that one. That looks like it's, it could actually be quite good. Uh, depending on the performances and so on, but you know the tone at least looks like it, it's actually sort of in keeping with that style, rather than going for the MCU style, you know, quips and all the rest of it. Yeah, but then so was Joker, you know. So this is the thing: is that they they had their very own unique style, but they weren't part of the DCU. And it, what pisses me yeah. off is okay, so you can tell this dark, gritty story about early days Batman in this. But you want to make Batman and the DCU into fucking quippy McQuip face about I don't not. <laughs> Yeah. I just, I just, I, like, like, and I read the fucking interview with Anne Sarnoff, and it, it just, okay, that pissed me off on a few levels. No, and, and the main things that pissed me off is once again, it's like, oh, all this fan base is toxic. Never once a fucking word about they raised half a million fucking dollars for suicide prevention yeah. in America. Never once a fucking word about that because, oh, no, no, it's just the fans are toxic. The fans are toxic. Yeah, they're also your paying fucking customers who, right. according to some, According to some rumors, I've done fucking really great for HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max is doing really fucking well off the back of the Snyder Cut. Oh um, yeah. So you know, what the fuck is going on there? <laughs> but the thing is, like, the the hope is that because Anne Sarnoff is not the top dog, the top dog is above her, and the top dog supposedly like that. These are all the rumors floating about. Oh, the top dog. Oh, actually, um, sorry. Speaking of that, I saw that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is throwing his weight behind the. With Return to the sorry, restore the Snyderverse, and um, he has, he has, yeah. Uh, apparently, he's a big fan of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and he's sort of uh, trying to put pressure on the studios to return to Snyder's uh, DCEU because he wants to face up against Henry Cavill's Superman. You know, he wants to be in with those people. He, apparently, he loves Jeremy Irons' Alfred. He wants a, a scene where you know uh, where he can play against um, against Alfred. So, so that's good because The Rock. 
I don't know why, I don't know how, but for some reason, The Rock has become like, you know, the biggest paying um, movie star in the world. And he's got like a huge amount of clout behind him. So if he goes into the studio saying, I would love to do a superhero film, but only if it's part of the Zack Snyder's, you know, DCEU, then they're going to fucking listen to him. So, um, I yeah, mean, fingers crossed. We so had, that's going to have we some had- we had this conversation before where I don't believe that they are beyond the point of course correction back to the Snyderverse no. with the films that they've made. Like, here's the thing. Even if James Gunn's Suicide Squad is a, an all-out comedy, okay, it's an all-out comedy. You've still got Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. Harley yeah, Quinn's I mean, reference. These characters, say, it still fits. As I say, I can compartmentalise and say, right, okay, so that's the comedy set in the universe and I'll watch it. All I'm saying is that I'm not going to enjoy it as much as if they're taking it seriously. You know, I, I prefer like actual character development and, you know, actual stakes. But when it's all just a comedy, then there's none of that, which fine. It's, you know, because, you know, I like Deadpool as much as anyone else. And that's like, it's all joking and not taken seriously. But that's also, again, one of those ones where it's taken from Deadpool's point of view and he's completely fucked up. So there's a reason for it. It's not just we're going to now suddenly start telling jokes in the Marvel universe. So, uh, so yeah, no, there's a place for it. Of course, there's a place for it. I'm not going to like dismiss everything for it. It's when they start inserting humour in something that previously was ta- was taken seriously, which was my issue with Thor Ragnarok. Is you know Thor, you might not have liked him, but you know he was taken seriously, and then suddenly they just turned into a massive comedy. And now going forward, you can't take him seriously anymore. So instead of trying to correct what was wrong and you know trying to figure out how can we you know take him seriously and be popular and be really good, uh, they just sort of thought, oh fuck it, let's just turn him into jokes. And you know it's you're just throwing the character away. You know, it's, I don't know. I don't know. If you're not going to take your own character seriously, then why should I take them seriously? And if it's just all going to be a comedy, then how can I take any of the other characters that's in the same franchise seriously if it's just all becoming a comedy? You know, so it's like, so it started off strong with Iron Man. It was, it was taken seriously. He was funny because he was a funny man, but it was him, the character, you know? And, but then it's just slowly become, no, the whole world's just a cartoon universe where everybody quits and it's just a joke. So it's, so even going back to Iron Man now, it's like difficult to go back and rewatch that, knowing that it's actually part of this expanded universe that's actually just a fucking comedy. Yeah, no, basically. Um, I mean, you know, I, I hope that The Rock succeeds in, in you know, pushing. I think the fact that it's The Fucking Rock, like, like yeah. it's The Fucking Rock, man. But I think, I think you know, there's hope, there's hope. I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath about it. Um, so, you know, it's... it's it's depressing in, in a way because it's, it's like bit, but, um... no the thing that the thing that depresses me about it though is it's like i said no here's the thing i was actually really i'm not gonna lie i was actually kind of cruel to a friend of mine um do tell so okay so it works like this he's a massive fan of captain marvel who shazam used to be before they had to rebrand yeah. him, okay and uh, he was disappointed by the shazam movie but the thing is he did not like snyder's dceu so you know, he got what he wanted because he got Joss Whedon to do Justice League, and apparently he didn't. He didn't mind it. I don't think he wasn't particularly, you know, fond of it. And um, and I, I couldn't help but rub it a little bit in his face when he didn't get what he wanted from Shazam. And it was like, yeah, sucks, don't it? Real sucks when when what you wanted from a movie doesn't happen. You know, because that's not what people wanted to make. It really sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> and you know, like, like honestly though, like. But no, I, I hope, I hope, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not holding out on that hope, you know, because I think, I think that if nothing else, from the Zack Snyder's Justice League release and the success of HBO, 
and all the rest of it. I think they have realised that actually not everything should be like the MCU. And I think also with the success of the Joker as well, I think they've realised that not everything should be like the MCU. And I think going forward, they are actually sort of going a bit more back to, oh, wait, no, we should just be doing our own thing instead of trying to emulate them. So going forward, I think at least that's something. And it's not necessarily the story I would have thought. I mean, I would love to see the you know the nightmare future in you know Justice League two and three and all the rest of it, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But the other so, side, do you want to know the other films? Do you want to know something funny, by the way? What's that? So I I googled Dwayne Johnson restore the Snyderverse. The first four articles that pop up: Dwayne Johnson fighting with WB to restore the Snyderverse. Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam can break the DCEU free from the Snyderverse. <laughs> Could. Could Dwayne The Rock Johnson save the Snyderverse? Dwayne Johnson reportedly fighting with WB to restore the Snyderverse. So it's interesting. But the thing is, I feel like there's a lot of... Okay, <clears throat> there's a lot of biases. There's a lot of like anti-DCEU biases in the media. Like it would be... It would be naive to not we, see that based to, on the way people honest, write about it. To be honest though, it's... A lot of it's because the reviewers watch the cinema release and that's all they watch. So the reviewers still think that Batman vs Superman is that cut down version that had the plot missing, and so you know they don't understand what the fans are seeing when they're talking about it. But you know the majority of the fans, so like you know, went on to watch the director's cut, the ultimate edition, and you know that's what the fans are so you know super stoked about. And, you know I don't know many fans who only saw the theatrical release and you know didn't even look up what the other scenes were. You know it is like the. It's like when you see all the other footage, that's when it goes. But the you know the reviewers, they just sort of watch the theatrical release, the one that the studios forced you know butchered. to be cut down, butchered. Yeah, and so that's why it's so going forward. So then it's it's the same reviewers who are writing the articles about stuff in films. So you know they're the ones who keep you know crapping all over Batman vs Superman because they only saw the theatrical release, and you know it's and again they see that many films as well. That for them, like going into the MCU, and it's just like it's all you know, can just take the brain out and just you know, watch the CGI and listen to all the quips. It's a lot easier for them as reviewers to watch that than it is to actually sit down and oh, shit, you mean I've got to actually follow a plot in this one? Oh, fuck. shit, do I have to follow a plot? Do I have to think about thematic yeah. elements? It's oh, fuck, like, I'm gonna have to actually write a proper article about this afterwards. Oh my god, I actually have to think. Oh, uh, I don't want to be that kind of guy who's like, if you don't like it, it's because you're stupid. Because I, I, there are people who no. have genuine problems no. with it. But the no, thing is, like, but like, but so many times I see people just saying "Herder Martha scene," and it's like, yeah, you're going "Herder Martha scene" because you don't understand. You literally are not demonstrating any understanding of what that scene is attempting to express. If you express that you understood that before going in with the Herder Martha scene, all right, I'd be more inclined to respect your criticism of the Martha scene. But as it stands, all you're doing is going, oh, he doesn't do it because their mobs have the same name. No, he doesn't do it, you fucking moron, <laughs> you fucking plebeian. Because the whole point of their mothers having the same name within this universe, the whole point of all of that stuff is it's a point where Batman realises, oh shit, I have become that which I hate the most, which is the point of the entire fucking movie. Yeah, but no, yeah, scene. It's yeah. not who has got the same name as his mother's got the same name as my mother. It's not that. It's oh shit, he's got a mother. He's yeah. a person. He's got humanity, and that's the point of the scene. Anyway, I feel like we've sort of um, we, we tend to um, yeah get caught in the orbit of this conversation each time. So let's let's try and move on, shall we? And uh, what else were we talking about this week? What have we been um, Okay. Uh... Uh, 
So no, I, um, I was watching the um, Snowpiercer, which had its uh, big season finale uh, released yesterday, and I was kind of disappointed. I haven't um, watched it. I, yeah, I know what the general plot of the series is, but yeah, like, so what mean, was up with it? Well, so they've got Jennifer Connelly in it. She's like you know one of the main characters in it. And season one is all about Jennifer Connelly as you know being one of the main characters. Season two, Jennifer Connelly starts off as one of the main characters, and then she goes off on this side mission where they think that actually something might be going on with the atmosphere, and they're passing an old science station. So she gets like a, a suit on to protect her from the cold and a power pack, and she has to go off to do this thing. And then you don't see her for like two episodes. And it's like, oh, so she's one of the main characters. They must be doing something really big with her in the later part of the season. And then she comes back for an episode, and it's mostly about her and showing how she's, you know, showing how she survives in the elements out there and all the rest of it. And it's only for this one episode. And then it goes back, and it should, you don't see her again. And then it's like, oh, oh, I'll, well, I'll watch next week. Oh, she must be in next week. And that's when they skipped a week. So it's like, oh, shit, so I'm going to have to wait two weeks for it to come out now? Oh, well, at least it's going to be a double episode when it does come back. And it comes back, and she's not in it. And so, what the fuck? She's one of the main characters. She's not only is she not in it, it's implied that she died off screen. And it's like, as you know, I'm all for characters dying. I've got nothing against characters dying. It drives the plot forward for the other characters and stuff like that. But to just not have her in the series for like half the episodes and then just at the end so imply, oh, yeah, she's dead. What? I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't for a second think she's dead. I think, you know, she's going to come back somehow. But that's what's in the show. That's how they ended the show. Of um, yeah, I know we've not seen her for a couple of episodes or throughout the season, but yeah, oh, she's dead. Yeah, no, she's not coming back. No, you know, it's what you can't just end like that. Well, you can just end like that. They did end like that, but you know, it's as a fan of the show, as someone watching the show, and as a fan of Jennifer Connelly, you know, I'm like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> so yeah, so as I said before, you know, it's like yeah, I am a fan of shows where people can die. For me, it ups the stakes and all the rest of it. For you, you prefer deaths to have like you know meaning and so on. That's fine too. This death had no, one like, of what, those what, things. Okay. I mean, what you're describing is my least favorite kind of death. You know, yeah. because the thing is, like, if you're going to have a character die, it does one of two things. It cumulate. It cumulates. Like, it's the culmination of a character's arc. All right. They either succeed in the thing but die in the attempt, or they fail at the thing and die, and other people are left to carry on the thing. All right. That's that's a big thing for me. Whereas you know, what you're describing is, it, it's literally like, oh yeah, this character just, I mean, like, the thing is, the thing is, like, the deaths in Walking Dead, from my understanding, <laughs> to go back to that, the deaths in that, those are very much of the sort of, they're not, like, meaningless deaths off screen, they're uh, meaningful by virtue of the fact that anyone can die, but the yeah. meaning is drawn from the fact that these people can die, yeah. alright? Whereas what you're describing is the worst kind of character death, oh, it just fucking happened. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's time and the Rani-ing, the it's, character. <laughs> as I said, yeah, it's um, her character is by herself in this old science station. So part of me was thinking, oh, I wonder if it's something to do with COVID that, you know, they couldn't film or something. It's like, no, because she's by herself. That would have been the easiest thing for them to film, her by herself in this old science station. So it, I have no idea what it is. Honestly, watching it, it's like they actually filmed her side you know, the, the episodes that are missing, it's like they actually filmed a lot of great footage or they had planned, you know, they scripted lots of great footage but then they couldn't film for some reason. So instead they just sort of glossed over it and says, you know, and they went, oh yeah, she's dead. But if they had actually filmed it, the stuff that she was doing out there and then, you know, they retrieved this data that she was like, you know, setting up and all the rest of it, 
it's like, yeah, she did actually achieve the thing she was doing. And if they'd actually shown it, it could have been like a big heroic death scene, but it's not. It's, yeah, she's just absent. And then it ends and it's like, oh, oh yeah, she's dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. But no, 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 no more Jennifer Connolly. And it's like, what the fuck? But, um, that's, that's utter dog shit. <laughs> but, but, as I say, there's no way she's dead. I'm, I'm fairly sure she'll be coming back next series, you know, assuming it's not been cancelled like American Gods. So, um, you know, fingers crossed, we'll get to see what's actually going on with that. But on the other side of that, there's something... So on the episode where she did return, showed her doing her thing on the space station, and then she was supposed to be getting picked up again by the train. Um, and then she gets down to the train, and the train screeches past, and you're like, whoa, what's going on there? And then it goes back to the episodes on the train, but these episodes are set a few days earlier, so you're not at that point, so you're like building up to the point where it screeches past her, and you're waiting for like, oh, what the fuck, how's it get there? And when it actually returns to that scene, visually, it's, it's actually quite remarkable visually, because before it's like flying past, you see like sparks flying on the thing, but then you, you sort of find out it's because they're actually, uh, don't know how to start without giving away massive spoilers for it, but um, you basically got two engines on this train and they're fighting against each other. So you've got one accelerating and the other braking. So all the sparks are flying because they're fighting against each other on the train. But as this train hurtles past her, you know, the, the, the world is like frozen solid. So she's there like, you know, going through the ice, ice all around this train, hurtles past sparks and flames coming off the wheel. You know, it's like fucking Ghost Rider or something as a train. It's, and it's visually, it's fucking amazing. And, you know, it's not the previous bullshit that's predictable that, you know, I was talking about, in, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This is like something that's there's something that is very good about the Snowpiercer is if you just take out all the story points and you just piece together all the exterior shots of the train, it's fucking beautiful. I could watch that for hours, just the train going through the snowscape. And and you know, in moments like this when you're seeing like you know the wheels on fire and you know, sparking things going off, or other scenes where you know you see like outside of uh, one of the trailers when something blows up or whatever, seeing that footage, I could watch that for hours, man. Just you know. The entire Netflix series actually, you know, should re-edit it, just remove all the characters and just show, you know, Snowpiercer extended cut. I mean, to be fair, if they're going to get rid of Jennifer Connelly, they might as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, okay. Uh, is there, like, a problem, do you think, with just, like, endings in general? Because, like, this is the thing I've noticed well, a lot, is that endings seem to be a bit sucky. It, yeah, well, well, it's not really an ending. That, that has to be said is that, the first series didn't end with an ending. The first series ended with the stories continuing, but we've only got these many episodes. And this one very much ended with the series is continuing. This is not a finale. The series is continuing. We've only got these many episodes. And this is a good enough plot point to end on kind of thing, you know, going forward. But it's very much, no, the series is continuing. The story continues. We're just uh, stopping here for now and we'll pick it up later. So, um, I mean, if that was an actual finale, I'd have been really pissed off. But as a, the story continues, come back in a year, it, you know, it is, you know, it's like, I don't know, like Buffy, for example, in the old Buffy series, they'd have like, you know, the big baddie of each series. So season one, it was, the, you know, the master and so on. So then you, know, you get to the end of season one to defeat the master. Oh, good. We can end series one now because we've defeated the villain of that series. So a lot of shows have that kind of thing. So you're building up to a big finale for the end of that series. Um, but yeah, no, this is very much, it's a continuing thing. So, um, but yeah, I agree though about, Things in general, endings tend to suck. Um, I can't think of the last time I saw a TV show that ended, you know, in recent years anyway, that ended and I was satisfied with the ending. Um, I'd have to think long and hard on that one to think of one. So everything's always been disappointing. You're like, really? That's it? That's how you want to end the show? That's the finale you want to go out on? 
I mean, I guess you kind of tied up the plot points, but... I mean, this is the problem, though, is that a lot of people... Say, for example, a lot of people rag on Lord of the Rings Return of the King, the movie, for, like, taking forever to, like, end. Because, like, the actual action ends. But the thing is, like, Act 5 of a story is not meant to be, like, the, you know, leading up to the climax at the very end of Act 5. No, no. Act 5 is here's the climax, like the, the sort of the front end of Act 5, and then you've got the rest of Act 5 to sort of come down from that and be like, oh, okay, shit's happened, we're calming down, establishing where the new status quo is, yeah. now we're over. And I feel like television shows end, like as a general rule, it seems to me like television shows seem to like ending at the first minute of Act 5. Like, big actions happen, the end. <laughs> no, what about the come? No, no, it's the end! Like Star Trek Voyager did that years ago with, with Endgame. Like, you know, the moment they got home should not have been the end. Yeah. It should have been like at least there should have been like at least a couple of episodes where like, oh, Janeway is an admiral now. Chakotay is a captain now. Well, it's like, look, at, look at like Enterprise, no matter what you shot thought of the actual show, the finale, and oh, it's just a holodeck program, the end. What? It's what the fuck? Uh I mean, like, for example, um yeah, it's just like especially with something with like a serialized point to it, you know, like yeah. serialized storytelling, you need to have a good ending well, yeah. because you, you know, you've established these characters. You've done really like a lot to establish these characters. Give us more than just, and now it's the end, you know, because yeah. that's just fucking unsatisfying. And it, it, the whole point of the whole point of serialized storytelling is it's loyalty storytelling. It's yeah. you as the viewer are establishing that you are loyal to this series. You're going to keep that's... watching it, you know, that's and it. so we are going to reward you. Yeah, it's like Walking Dead, for example. It's, you know, 10 years it's been on the air now. And it is one of those things where it's one of those things where you do feel like I've invested a lot of time into this and into these characters. And it is an ongoing story. Uh, I mean, talking about the mortality rate in The Walking Dead. And I was thinking about it it's because, yeah, you're not following like a particular character. And it's like, you know, from the end to the end of next series, which is when it's going to, they've announced that's the final series. It's not like it's leading up to that thing. You are watching it episode by episode in the moment, so you're just experiencing the moment with the characters kind of thing. So I'll be interested to see how Walking Dead actually ends because that's something that really is a big investment of, of time and emotion if you really care about the characters as well and you're following their stories. So for it to then say, right, we're going to end it here, it's like, oh, how are they going to end it? Especially as two of the main characters have actually been in since Series 1, two of the you know, survivors, they, they're actually going to have their own spin-off show. So it's like, all right, so how are they going to spin off into their own show and they, everything else ends? You know, either they go off for a walk one day and a nuke goes off and they come back and like, oh, shit, everyone's dead. Oh, well, let's carry on. I mean, how are they going to do it? I don't know. But, um, but speaking of Walking Dead as well, um, so, <laughs> yeah, well, seamless segue there into the Walking Dead ser- series. So the, obviously that's... the. They're, yeah, so they're releasing episodes. That's, that can be said. They are releasing episodes. They are releasing content of a kind um, at the moment. So, so season 10 ended, but then they were allowed to do, because they couldn't start filming season 11 proper because of COVID and all the rest of it, but they were, were allowed to film like six extra episodes, which is what we're getting released now as part of an extended season 10. Um, last week I was saying how they kind of felt kind of empty because instead of being like an ongoing story, which is, as I've just said, Walking Dead is about the ongoing story. You're experiencing it with the characters and it continues as an ongoing story. And instead, you're seeing like, you know what, within, within a larger story, you might have an episode where a character is doing something different, like, you know, away from the main storyline. It's like, that's what every episode of these particular episodes of the ending of season 10 is. It's all B-pop. 
yeah. So the last episode of um, that's just released in the UK, um, it's literally one of the main characters is trying to make soup and uh, there's a rat in the kitchen and it's uh, trying to catch this rat. That's basically what happens in the entire episode. Uh, there's a secondary story where uh, a guy's motorbike is broken because the hose has snapped on it, so he has to go through all the vehicles that are lying about on the you know on on the road that you know they've been abandoned over the years, and he's got to find a bit of hose pipe that'll fit on his motorbike. So those are the two stories: fixing his motorbike and making soup with a rat in the kitchen. Now, yes, there are so, like character moments within it. You know, she's not just making soup; she's making soup because she's like the big badass who um, you know she's done things to get things done but does she want to be the you know ends justify the means woman so she's actually trying to make soup to prove that she can do something that's contributing to the group that's not just ends justify the means so there is, is that samurai sword lady no 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 she's gone that's michonne uh she she left um <laughs> she left the show but uh in a way that could be sent into like a spin-off or she could come back later so she saw this other group of people and she sort of followed them and that's the last we ever saw of her and it's like oh right great so are we going to follow that story? No, no, they're not going to follow that story because she's off doing Marvel and things like that now. So, um, but uh, yeah, so but so that's my gripe on this series is we're getting these six extra episodes, but they're not actually doing anything with the six extra episodes. They can't do anything with the six extra episodes because the overall story that's going to be series eleven. So this is just like you know, it's like in Doctor Who when you get like the Doctor Light episodes. It's like oh yeah, we've got six extra episodes this season, and they're all Doctor Light. And it's like oh right, great. So, you know, we're not actually going to see the big adventures in time and space. We're just going to see the Doctor appear at some point, establishing that it is actually that Doctor. Show. Yeah. And that's it's, like an entire, it's like an entire six episodes of Blink. Yeah, basically. And there's nothing wrong with Blink. I love Blink, but you don't want a full series of that when it's Doctor Who. You know, give Blink its own spin-off show. I would have loved to have seen that, Sally Sparrow. That would have been a great show to watch. But um, anyway, yeah, that's my gripe of the current... Walking Dead, and as I say, as a fan of Walking Dead, when you get to series 10, you really do feel like you've invested a lot of time into these, this show and into these characters. So for them to just like be just giving you filler episodes where nothing actually happens, it's feeling a bit yeah. like, yeah, this isn't Walking Dead really, is it? But as I say, I am aware, in a meta sense, I am aware that it's because they couldn't film series 11, so they're giving us some extra episodes, and it is extra content, and I'm, I'm glad... You know, grateful for that because otherwise we'd have no content so you know some walking dead content is better than no walking dead content but it's not it's not proper walking dead content it's not walking dead at its best you know so uh it's unfortunate what can i say but i mean the actors are all great and you know they're all putting in performances if it's like you know a key episode you know where you know this character is gonna save the rest of the community and all the rest of it and it's like no no she's just making soup yeah, you know, they don't even need her to make soup. You know, people are out there frying rabbits or whatever. But you know, you know, you know what though? You know what though? I guarantee fucking to you. All right, in like ten years or whatever, you're gonna look back at The Walking Dead and be like, Negan, the governor, that rat from that one episode, yeah. truly <laughs> great villains. You know, that, that's what you're gonna be doing. And he got away at the end. She didn't even catch it. Motherfucker! That's okay. That's the fucking big bad of series eleven. I fucking yeah. guarantee it. The rat. Yeah, the fucking rat. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> oh hell. Oh dear. So, um, with a with a with a somewhat less seamless segue, uh, I'd <laughs> like to talk a bit about something that I've been watching. If that's all right, which is uh, Invincible. Oh, I've heard so about I saw... this, but I haven't actually had a chance to watch it yet. 
Okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know, Invincible is based on Image Comics uh, series, I believe. Actually, uh, actually, and... oh, actually, smooth segue into Invincible is that it's um, made by uh, the original comics is uh, Kirkman who did Walking Dead, so it's from the same creative. Um, yes. And, okay, that makes a lot of sense because there, okay, there were some things I really liked about Invincible episode one and the first half of episode two. There were some things I really, really liked. There were some things that I did not really, really like. Okay? <laughs> so, um, spoiler warning then for anyone who's interested in Invincible. If you like it, or if you like the look of it and you want to go watch it, fuck off, do it now. <laughs> have ten seconds to pause. Nine, eight, seven, six. Six, five, four, three, two, one, come on. Five, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so, pardon me. So Invincible is interesting. It opens on this thing of a Justice League, uh, of a Justice League esque bunch who are all vaguely analogous to the actual like Justice League yeah. from the cartoon, actually, which I thought was a really nice touch. Fighting some bad guys to protect the president of the United States, um, and you know, there's some interesting characters. Uh, there were some interesting moments with them. And then we sort of cut to so there's this there's this guy called Omni Man who is our Superman XP. Uh, except he's both played by the guy who who did J. Jonah Jameson, so he's played by. Um, Oh god, what's his name? Uh, the actor's name. Oh, I'm terrible with names. Don't ask me ever. Oh god, I feel really fucking bad now. Um, like carry on talking. I'll look up his name. Okay, so it's played by that guy. He looks like J. Jonah Jameson, but he's got Superman's powers and a bit of the sort of Superman look, except it's white and red, which is really interesting. And you know, so you know, here's this guy. He's he's here. There's a bit of a, a dynamic established with him and this Justice League XP. Uh, and then we meet his family, his wife and his son. And his yeah. son is only just getting his superpowers. So there's this whole lovely coming of age arc where he, you know, learns to, you know, use his superpowers finally. And we hear about his dad's back history and is stuff. It, by, by the way, you know, J.K. Simmons, his name. J.K. Fucking hell, I should have known that. So, yeah, it's J.K. Simmons playing this character who looks a lot like J. Jonah Jameson. It's great. So, yeah, so you've got this, you know, really sweet coming of age story, you know, about, about superheroism and stuff. And actually, I found it really entertaining, okay? Yeah. And, okay, this is the part where it gets annoying for me personally. So this is, this is my personal gripe. It ends with a montage of all these Justice League XP characters, you know, in this Batman, Ersatz uh, Batman character and all these other people being summoned to a big meeting of this Justice League XP, yeah? And then Omni-Man kills them all. Oh, he fucking brutally, bloodily, gorily, he crushes the Flash XP's head. He, he, there's the Wonder Woman XP, he literally twists her head so it's facing the wrong way. It's the works. It's fucking gory, nasty, awful shit. And I had never read the Image comics. I had never read the Image comics before, before starting this. Okay? I'm going to point that out. Because, you know, like you were saying earlier, how you, when you were watching these fight scenes in Falcon Winter Soldier, could just see it coming? Yeah. I could just see it coming. All right. Like the moment I saw this guy, I was like, okay, you're going to turn out to be evil or something, aren't you? <laughs> and the thing is, I'm not saying that to knock on image comic storyline or to knock on this series because it's beautifully animated. There's some really touching moments. It's really great. It's really interesting stuff from a storytelling perspective, but there's this really fucking annoying thing, you know, <laughs> which is just, you know, here's a Superman XP, except they're bad. And, you know, like, I'm sure there's, there's a deeper reason to it. I looked into it after. There's whole reasons why this guy is the way he is. It's a bit more in-depth than that. But it's just, you know, I was enjoying 
in a way, the straight superhero story from that perspective of the son of this important superhero who's just getting his powers. That really interested me, you know? Yeah. I was really, that was really super interesting, you know? And then it's sort of now, it's not going to be the story of his super dad and super son, you know, in a universe that because it's not DC, you can have things like really awkward teenage romances, you know, and you really awkward teenage stuff going, I like that stuff. No, no, no. It's just his bad super dad and they're probably going to fight. You know, I, I haven't seen the rest of it yet. There's three episodes <laughs> out so far, last time I looked. And, you know, they're going to fight. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out one way or the other. And this bad Superman guy is going to be beaten because bad Superman guys have to be beaten. And it's like, actually, mm. no, I would have quite like, like, and the annoying thing is like when you got that montage of this Justice League XP, I liked these people. Like, so you had the Martian Manhunter XP who he lived in a shitty apartment block with this young girl who he might have been taking care of, you know? And she was actually pushing him to extend his ability. So he had this thing where he was spreading himself flat across the floor using his shape-shifting, yeah? And he was actually marking the points on the floor that he could stretch to, and he was getting better. And I found myself really invested in him and that girl and their relationship. And then they, they just kill him. Okay, okay, fuck me for wanting to be invested in that. You know, they, they had this interesting <laughs> dynamic of the Wonder Woman XP where she runs this big company you know, and there's a little bit of conflict with her and somebody that works with her. Like, don't you do enough for the world? No, I don't. You know, that was interesting. I oh, know, no, she's dead. You know, there was the whole thing of the fucking Flash XP is this Russian guy on a date with another, uh, with a Russian woman where he's like, you know, trying to convince her that he's not bored of her because he's super fast. So he, he starts on this spiel of, you know, everything is super fast, which means that real conversations with real people feel like they take forever. And then he sort of realizes, oh shit, I'm making it sound like I find her boring. But with you, it doesn't quite feel like that. And I like that. And I thought that was sweet and hokey. And no, he's dead. They, they crushed his head. Well, okay. And, well, and the thing is, like, that's okay. That is to me. And I realize The Walking Dead isn't like that, for example. I realize it's a bit more complex than that. And you have more time with them than that. But to me, that is the apex of this anyone can die mentality, which is. I'm really invested in you people for the five seconds of screen time. You're really bold characters. I'm really, in oh, you're dead. But sounds, oh, you're dead. So there was no like, point uh, getting interested. I, mean, I haven't seen it. I read the comic um, as yet. But it, yeah, it sounds like obviously they're setting it up so you care about it, then they die. But it sounds like the actual show itself is going to be about something else. So it's sort of like, this is like the origin story. But instead of it being the origin story of this is how I got my powers, you know, I got bit by a radioactive spider or whatever, it's the origin story of, this is the superhero going bad. And then the rest of the series is, this is what he does once he's gone bad. Or, or if he killed him, not because he's gone bad, but for other reasons, whatever it is. So, uh, but I might, I might watch that with uh, Mrs. Treasure. Now I'll not tell her about that. And I'll see what her reaction is. to. Um, it's, it's on, it's on prime video. So and the thing video, is, oh, I have prime. It, yeah. So the thing is, it's not, it's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying to a certain extent, a lot of the media that I am exposed to now is deconstructive in nature. It yeah. is, here are the straight tropes, okay? And we are immediately going to deconstruct them. Here is a Justice League XP. We're immediately going to kill them off and Superman is bad. Or, yeah. you know, here, here is this, but it's deconstruct. And I'm, to be honest, maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but I would have really liked a series where it was just Super Dad and Super Son. I would have really liked a series where it was like, here's a Justice League XP with their own unique problems, you know? Yeah. So, for, ex so for example... I think, I, I think actually, I think maybe part of the problem is that 
if they just do it as here's a superhero with the super sun or whatever, they, they do things. If they're not subverting it, then DC are going to sort of go, oh, no, you're copying Superman, we're going to sue you. So I think that might be part of the problem as well, is it's good, they have to come up with a, a really, truly original character. Otherwise, they'll just get drawn comparisons to the other superheroes that are already out there. Um, again, I, I don't know Omni-Man and all the rest of it. These are clearly doing a, taking that. existing things and doing like you know, the opposite kind of thing. But, but yeah, no, I get but what I mean, you mean. It would be nice. I mean, for example, I'm reading a book now uh, from a publisher called Athon. Um, who I'd recommend, if only because they, they do Baby Yoda memes on their page on Facebook. No, but seriously, they seem like they're really, they're a small imprint, but they're really passionate. And I'm reading a superhero book now uh, called Sidekicks, um, or Sidekick. I can't remember if it's plural or not. But that's, that's all about like a, a, a sort of Ursart's Robin character uh, called the Red Raptor, but his actual name's the Red Kite. He just wants to be called the Red Raptor instead. <laughs> and the whole, and the whole like, you know, the the struggles of being like a super sidekick character and that does interesting things without like it hasn't done it yet but it, you know it, it so far it hasn't felt the need to oh here's these characters that you really invent okay no we're killing them you know it's like i would have been really interested in seeing you know in in invincible i would have been really interested in seeing these super characters and i suppose yeah. in a way that's them doing their jobs right if i'm really interested in seeing these super characters clearly it, they've done the jobs well enough for me to care, you know, in these mini montage moments. Okay, cool. But now I will never get a story of these people and they're just dead. And now when I go back to watch that, I will no longer care because they're just there to die horribly. Okay, that's, that's the sum totality of it. Yeah. Okay, fine. Like, like I'm, I'm writing a superhero novel right now, you know, or a superhero crossed over with a high fantasy conflict thing. It, it, it's kind of complex. But for me, you know, for that, I know the tropes of superheroes. I'm playing with some of those tropes, but, you know, some of them are just played straight, you know? And I, I like to hope I'm not just deconstructing. I don't want to say Invincible is deconstructing for the sake of deconstructing, because well, that's a very reductive argument. But to, say, to say, at the moment, though, we've only seen episode one or first couple of episodes, I suppose it's what is the full series doing? So when you get to the end of the first series, it's going to be clear what the overall story was. And then it's like, right, so that's what the story was. So that's why the first episode started as this. But um, yeah, I'll have to give that one a, a watch though. So, I mean, it's still, it, it's still releasing. So the next episode's it's, coming out second of eight. Yeah, but it's, it's also becoming the thing of like, you know, it's like they did it with Watchmen, they're doing it with the boys. And it's that kind of thing of, First couple, it's interesting and it's a, you know an interesting take on the kind of thing. But then when you do another and another, it's like okay, this has now become the you know the trope. The, you know this has now become the thing that we're seeing all the time. So it started off rebelling against the oh we're always seeing the superheroes being super. Well, what if they went bad? Ooh. But now it's like yeah, but we're always seeing the what if they went bad? We're always seeing the you know who watches the Watchmen. That's like every superhero now, um, apart from Marvel where it's all a comedy. So it seems to be one or the other. It's either a comedy or the, oh, what if the superheroes were bad? And it's, yeah, let's just say a proper superhero film, proper action, proper drama, proper character development. You know, let's see that. Um, which is what I was kind of, <laughs> sorry, it's not a superhero, but there's another show I've watched called The um, Irregulars. Uh, it's on Netflix. I don't know if you've um, seen this one. I've, um, seen, I've seen clips of it, but I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen the thing itself. So I'll give you my review of it. Um, I lasted seven minutes and switched it off. 
Oh, that bad, huh? <laughs> uh, it's got two things that uh, really bug me. I mean, like, really bug me. So, um, okay, so as, as you know, I love Doctor Who. Now, the mm -hmm. New Year's episode of Doctor Who, um, I didn't see when it was live, uh, but I thought, no problem, because I know it's going to be on the iPlayer. I'll catch up on the iPlayer later. Um, but I was busy at the time when it was actually on air. So I went to watch it on the, on the iPlayer, and they did this weird thing where it forced you to change... It forced your TV to change its settings to Ultra HD, um, and you can't actually change it back. It forced you to watch it in Ultra HD. Now, Ultra HD is fine if you're watching a nature documentary and you want to see, like, you know, a close-up of the feathers on the bird or whatever that's, you know, that's in this nature documentary. When you're watching a TV show and the TV show's got sets and props that have been built to be seen on TV, normal t television, when you see it in Ultra HD, it looks like someone's just showing you photographs are taken with a you know high resolution camera phone uh, you know at the doctor experience or something it doesn't look like the real tardis anymore it looks like a prop it looks like what it is in real life a prop um and so so that spoiled the doctor new year's episode for me uh, regardless of what the, the actual happened actually happened in the story that spoiled it for me because I, I found it difficult to watch uh, and it's a similar thing with this it's the first time i've seen it on netflix I actually wrote down the name of it because it bugged me that much. I want to... Um, it forces you to watch it in uh, Dolby Vision Bright. Now, I've never seen this on Netflix before, but it comes on and it's like straight away, you know, like a, like now as you're watching this, it's got the television that's behind me is black. But it's one of those where you have like a backlight on your television. So instead of looking black, it comes out as like a blue or something like that. So I've got my TV set to get rid of that because I hate it. So as soon as it started, it was a dark scene and I could see this backlight was going on. So straight away, I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? Why, is it, why have you messed with my settings? And, and yeah, it's, it's a thing where you can't change it. You cannot change your TV settings. It forces you to watch it in this Dolby Vision bright. So even though it looks fucking awful, oh, yeah, but it's 4K. It's like, yeah, 4K. I don't want 4K. I want, like, I want it to look like cinematic, like actual cinema film. But, you know, when I'm stood in front of you in real life, I don't see you in 4K. You know, I don't see your close-ups of your paws and everything that you know, stray eyelash or whatever. I don't want to see people on my television like that. I want to see it colour graded as it should be to look realistic and or to look dramatic for whatever scene's going on. I don't want Ultra 4K forced on me in every single scene so that every single prop looks like a prop. Every single set piece looks like a set piece. You know, the Temple of Doom looks like the Temple of Doom unless you watch it in Ultra HD 4K, then it looks like a set, you know? And so that's my first gripe on it. So I, I tried to watch it. But it had the second thing which really, really annoys me is um, in UK television, you can only get into drama, especially as a young person, if you go to drama school and you're middle class and you've got a lot of financial backing behind you. So you come from a well-off family, basically. So the characters in this, they're all supposed to be these homeless urchins living on the streets in London. My God, they're the poshest urchins I've ever seen in my life. They, they come on straight away, you listen to it, it's like, oh, fuck me, more fucking middle-class kids playing working-class homeless people on the television again. So, yeah, a friend of mine summed it up when we were talking about Game of Thrones and he was talking about, you know, all the adult characters were getting killed off. And he, he turned and I said, all we're left with now is a fucking rada youth. And that's exactly what it is. And that's my gripe. So it's, it's got the, the Dolby, Dolby Colour Bright, whatever the fuck it's called, Vision Bright, and the fucking rada youth. And I lasted seven minutes and I had to switch it off. It was unbearable, fucking unbearable. So, um, yeah, that's my review of the seven minutes I saw of it. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that you talk about um video quality because one of the things that we sort of have in our 
big list of random shit that we talk about. One of them is uh, how you went back and watched some older episodes of Doctor Who and they yeah. look quite blurry yes. on your modern telly. And it actually sounds like that's not a bad thing. No. Well, the, it's weird, though, because... So, so it was the anniversary of the TV show coming back, Doctor Who coming back, uh, when it came back in 2005. So it, I saw all these pictures. I didn't actually... It didn't tweak that it was the, the anniversary. I just saw you know, posts about Krista Reckleson and stuff. And, you know, and Billy Piper. And I thought, oh, that makes me want to go back and rewatch them. So I went back and watched a couple of the old episodes. But I put it on on Netflix. And I mentioned this on Twitter as well. You put it on on Netflix and it's fuzzy. It's, it's blurry. You can't see it properly. And then you put it on, on the iPlayer and it's fuzzy and blurry. You can't see it properly. And then I got my old DVD copy out and I put it on and it's clear. Now, obviously, it's meant for a smaller screen, but it's now being watched on that bigger screen. So it looks low resolution for it, but it's a clear image. So why is it blurry on Netflix and on iPlayer? They're also doing something to like condense the image or to artificially stretch it to try and make it you know, fit the screen. I don't know what they're doing, but it makes it blurry and it's really difficult to watch. So, um, but, but then like our own Doctor Who fan films that we make, because that was filmed on like the dodgy old camera. So then going back and watching, having watched the Chris Reckleson era of Doctor Who and it's a bit slightly blurry and then watching our own YouTube videos, Actually, it's not that bad for the time it was made, considering this is actual BBC you know, production. It's not that bad. But it does raise a question. Why does Doctor Who from 2005 look blurry and yet Star Trek from the 1960s doesn't? You know, Star Trek The Next Generation from the 80s and 90s doesn't. How come those shows don't look blurry, but Doctor Who from 2005 does? What the fuck were BBC filming this on for it to be that blurry? It's, it baffles me. It really does. I don't... I'm not that familiar with the technology the BBC were using in the 2000s as to why it would no longer be clear, um, except they probably they probably switched to early digital cameras, whereas the old Star Trek would have been filmed on actual film. So that's the only thing is is those shows will be like scanned film film negatives, whereas on the TV show you know it would probably been like early digital cameras, so it would have been like oh it's only got so many pixels. That's the only thing I can imagine. Old Doctor Who. Uh, in like 2005 was to my knowledge filmed on a combination of treated videotape and digital i think yeah is my understanding of it it, it was not filmed on super high quality I think, stuff i think it was probably fed into the computer for them to then do the cgi stuff and the color grading mm -hmm. that was all done digitally so it's probably scanned in and then digitally you know color graded put the cg whatever on so then the end product was then a saved video file which was so many pixels so i think that's probably what happened to it but um but yeah, but it does leave me feeling, though, that our own stuff actually isn't as bad as I remember it, because when you actually compare it to stuff that was actually being broadcast on the television at the time, we're not that far behind it, to be honest. I mean, that yeah, it's filmed on a dodgy camcorder, but that was filmed on professional you know, cameras, and look how theirs turned out. Oh, quite. Um, but yeah, what was I thinking? Well, I would rather, yeah. watch, I would rather watch blurry season one of the return of Doctor Who than the ultra HD fast Dolby Vision Brights that they're using on shows nowadays. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I think we've had the conversation about watching The Hobbit, the first Hobbit movie, where you can quite clearly see Gwalin has a bald cap on. <laughs> yeah. Because, because they're showing it at like a billion frames per second or whatever the fuck it was yeah. in super ultra HD. And it's like, yeah, I can see his, I can see how shit all this CGI is. It all moves too fast and I'm having a headache. 
and oh look he's got a bald cap i can see the fucking join (laughs) it's like okay okay i'll take that that's weird why not i don't know i don't know no i mean it's like we've got props for filming just one second i'll grab a prop I'm back. Sorry. So, people um, listening to the podcast, I'm sorry, about to show some uh, a prop. So, you're not going to get full advantage of this. So, why don't you jump on over to YouTube and watch the video? But here we have uh, this is my sonic screwdriver as used in our um, Lumbar Brothers Doctor Who fan films. Um, now, as you can see, it looks like a perfectly good prop on the camera, the low resolution webcam that I'm using to film this. It wouldn't look that great on a Ultra HD 4K television because uh, you'd see that this part here that's meant to be a metal fitting is actually tape that's painted to be metallic. This part here that looks like a nice little glass dome is plastic. You know, this part here is painted with a technique known as dry brushing, which looks great at a distance like this. And that's why I use the technique, because that's how it's meant to be seen. It doesn't look great close up or in Ultra HD 4K. And all the props on the actual TV show, all the props on all the films and so on that are made today, they're made in the same way. They're made to look good in passing on screen. They're not meant to be viewed in close-up with an Ultra HD 4K camera. So that's why when you watch shows that are made to look great on normal television, but then you actually film them or you know you force them to be seen in Ultra HD 4K, it looks like a prop. So it's like this, for example. This yeah. is a it's foam LARP sword. Yeah. And it was a little bit more in-depth on the Lord of the Rings movies, but at a distance, these look like actual weapons, okay? Uh, now, if you fucking zoom in on them, you can uh-huh. see, oh, no, wait, it's just foam, right? Yeah. But it's not, it's not meant to be seen Ultra HD. It's meant to be seen, you know, on, you know on, on film cameras, and it's meant to be seen at a distance, you know? But, but Ultra 4, 4K and shit, no, it's foam. You can see it's foam, well, that's, you know? It's like even, even the way makeup's applied, makeup is applied to look good on camera, it's not made to be scrutinised with the Ultra HD 4K camera. It's meant to look good on camera. So makeup is applied in a certain way to look good on camera. So when you then start forcing the Ultra HD onto people, you're now seeing like, why have they got weird eyeshadow? You know, why has this macho man got, you know, lipstick and eyeliner on? It's, you know, it's because it's meant for normal filming. So, so that's a big gripe of mine. And the fact it's now, you know, being forced upon you on the streaming services, that's really worrying going forward because... I don't know, they seem to think that everybody wants this Ultra 4K thing, which I don't know anybody that actually watches a comparison side by side and thinks, that, oh, yeah, that's a better quality. It's like it's clearer, yeah, it's crisper, but, you know, the person who directed that film didn't actually want you to see the guy's nose hairs, you know? That's just a... That's just a I'd, like to hope, I'd like to hope nobody wants to see my nose hairs. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Mr. Director Man, do you really want to see Jed's nose hairs in the next Handmade Rockets film? <laughs> no, and I, I didn't really want to see them in the other ones either. But... No. So, yeah, that's my gripe on uh, the... I've got nothing against 4K when it's suitable, you know, like in games, which is what it's really made for, and that's what's driving it. It's the gaming community. They want the 4K so they can be further away from their enemy and shoot them and be able to see them more clearly when they're shooting them at a distance. It's not meant for watching actual drama. It's not meant for watching the films, especially not sci-fi drama that relies on props and CG. Um, but, you know, in television, the only place for it is in nature documentaries. That is the only place for it where you actually want to be able to see the details of the plant or the bird or the fish or whatever, especially fish, actually. If it's something like, you know, the 
a nature documentary and see, you want to be able to tell the difference between, is that a bubble or is that some kind of little tiny sea creature? That's the kind of detail you want to be able to see. That's where it should be used. You don't want to see it on Doctor Who or on Star Trek or any of those shows. It's, it's wrong. It's out of place. It, it breaks that fourth wall. Suspension of disbelief is gone again because you can see that's not the TARDIS. That's a set. That's meant to look like the TARDIS, but it's not the TARDIS. You know, I can clearly see where it's screwed into the floor there. That's, you know, it's... Yeah, that's my gripe with it. That's, I mean, to be fair, I, I have the same problem with... Like, for example, uh, modern, like the current Doctor Who, the TARDIS setting, that looks kind of cheap. Yeah, there's, there's been a couple of episodes where they've, they've really nailed the lighting and they get the lighting perfect. And in those couple of episodes, it's like, wow, it looks beautiful, but it's only a couple of episodes. And a lot of the time, because obviously they have different directors coming in, you know, the difference between like film directing and TV directing is a TV director um, has to be adaptable and just come in and change things and you know get things done quickly. And then it's another guy that comes in the following week. And so, yeah, sometimes they get the line perfect. So the director says, I want it bright, I want it dark or whatever. Uh, but sometimes it's, you know, the director comes in and says, no, bright, switching all the lights, I want it really bright so I can see everything. In fact, in the old, um, I'll say old, when it first came back in 2005, the lighting was a lot darker in that and the set was lit by the actual central column um, but then when you get to series two and three, when, you know, when David Tennant takes over, the stars should just say, no, switching all the lights, just make it all bright, and you lose the atmosphere of it, which is why the TARDIS in the season one with Chris Eccleston era, that's my favourite TARDIS interior console room, because they were actually using the natural light that's in there. Because uh, then later, so with David Tennant, when he took, when he came aboard, they started just lighting it up so you could see everything like a bright stage. I think the actual point of swapping was literally the Runaway Bride, uh, the yeah. special uh, right after series two, because they went from, there's a very jarring thing where you see the thing reshot. Yeah. You know, this, you see yeah. that scene with Don and Noble reshot uh, so that it's in this new lighting. And on the one level, I can sort of see why they did it. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, now I can just see that this is a foam set. Yeah. And that's also when they start saying, we need a new set. You can see that this is, you know, a set and not the actual real thing. Yeah, because it's not meant to be brightly lit, you fucking dickhead. It was, you know. We started bright. Uh, yeah, we're going to start lighting it really brightly just as they're bringing in all these HD cameras. Oh my God, you dickhead. Well done, people. You did really well there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, wait until you've updated the Sardis set and then start filming it with HD cameras under bright lights. Oddly enough, that's when they started going back to the natural light from the central console again as well. Um, actually, no, no, not the first time that's changed it, but the second Matt Smith era TARDIS mm. set, that was lit very much from the, the central console as well, and that was beautiful as well. The natural lighting, when they use that, that's coming from the instruments, that looks beautiful. But when they're just lighting it as a, a stage piece, like, oh, brightly lit so you can see everybody on there. It's like, you're not supposed to see everybody on there. It's a feature of the TARDIS that the shadows in the corners of oh, this rendition of the TARDIS. But anyway. Oh, dear. <laughs> We do complain a lot, but to be fair, this is kind of, you know, it's our prerogative. We're angry men on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm not that angry in real life. That's, that's, you know, I'm chilled out. Just, you know, when you do touch on a subject that winds me up, ooh, wind him up and watch oh. him go. Oh, trust me. I, I, I know that feeling all too well. Um, so but at the same time, though, I don't want to be that guy that only talks about the stuff he likes. And, like, you know, people come on and it's like, oh, what's the show about? Oh, well, you know, he just loves everything. He just keeps talking about how great everything is. And it's like, you know, because I'm only talking about what I like. No, I talk about the stuff that I like and the stuff I don't like. And I'll talk about it in equal measure. And I'll tell you what's not great about the stuff that I like as much as I'll tell oh, you. This, this is yeah. it, is that a lot of channels, a lot of channels on YouTube, 
Oh, now listen to me critiquing oh, yeah. YouTube maybe, maybe critics. We shouldn't justify enough other channels on YouTube. Do we, do we want to be those guys? I mean, no, the thing is, though, is that realistically, this is just a thing with opinions on the internet in general, is if you like something, that's all you'll talk about is how much you like it. If you don't like something, it's all you'll talk about is how much you don't like it. Yeah. All right. Whereas in actual fact, I hate a lot of things, but I will talk about the stuff that I like from those things. You know, I like a lot of things, but like Invincible, I liked Invincible. Yeah. I was a bit bummed out that it turned out to be just another, oh, it's the Superman figure, but he's a bad guy. Okay. Yeah. That bummed me out a little. I'm going to go wa watch episode two again and episode three. I'm going to go watch episode four when it comes out. That's not going to stop me. You know, it, it's colored my expectations a little. I'm a bit disappointed that we don't get to see more of these characters, but okay, fair enough. Let's go for it. Sure thing. Um, you know, I, uh, I don't want to be binary in my opinions. Yeah. It's all good or it's all bad. I want to I be able to say, you know, I like and I don't like things. Yeah, you know? there are some channels on, on the YouTube where people will be watching this if they're watching it. Um, there are some channels that I've sort of blocked because... I watch something on Doctor Who, for example, so then YouTube starts recommending Doctor Who-related channels to me. But I'm a fan of Doctor Who. I don't want to be watching these channels that are just, wow, Doctor Who sucks. And it's like, well, I'm looking for the video list, every single video, Doctor Who sucks, Doctor Who sucks, Doctor Who sucks. Why is YouTube recommending this to me when I'm a fan of Doctor Who? So, you know, I have to, like, block those channels every so often because I don't want to watch that. You know, I don't want it coming up on my recommendation list. You know, it's especially as I tend to watch it on my TV back then. The recommendation list is only so long. And it's like, right, well, get rid of that. Then you can put something else in that I actually want to watch. But yeah, I don't, oh, I don't really see It's just clickbait um, channels, to be honest, which is what I don't want to be myself. Well, so, quite. So I apologise if we come across like that and uh, shouting angry things at things all the time. But uh, what can we say? I shout, but I like shouting, to be fair. And it's a good outlet. And also, <laughs> it, just, it just means that I'm passionate, you know. Well... No, we've got that resolved then. I think um, it might be time to wrap up. and Just a bit. But before we do, yeah. uh, the Obi-Wan cast. Oh, yes. So that got its cast very recently. But also a couple of weeks ago, Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds had its cast revealed as well. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. To talk about Star Trek 1 first, I'm kind of bummed out because there was a whole cast of characters in the cage that never got elaborated on, all right? And the only ones that they seem to have are Spock, Number One, and Pike. I would have quite liked to see, for example, more of Boyce, you know? You know, the Doctor bloke. I would have quite liked to see, you know, if you've got this, you know, unaired pilot, bring back yeah. some of those characters. Yeah. You know, I understand, I understand it's not 1965 anymore. They want to be more diverse. Absolutely. Go for it, you know? But I liked Boyce, you know? You've got this opportunity now, you know, to cast the guy as him and to actually go, okay, this is what that dynamic is like. That was an interesting dynamic, you know. Um, I don't think they've announced who any of those people are playing yet. I'm going to be interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, uh, I must admit, I don't know if any of them were the people from the actual ending of season two of Discovery. I don't know. I hope so. I'm going to go back and look at it, but it's interesting, you know, and it's interesting that they started production again. Give me a cage uniform. <laughs> but uh, no, that's, that's interesting. But then you've got the Obi-Wan series. And the Obi-Wan series has an interesting cast. But it bothers me a little. Mainly because... At what point... At what point will it strain credibility that stuff is happening to Obi-Wan Kenobi and yet nobody ever fucking finds him while he's on Tatooine? 
at what point is the credibility going to be strong? Okay, first off, Obi-Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine, all right? And, yeah. and unless they want to send him off doing massive, crazy adventures all over the galaxy, that is where he has to be, right? Okay, that is where he has to be. So if they do start sending him off on crazy adventures all over the galaxy, that kind of breaks the point of him being on Tatooine. All right. Yeah. If he's off doing crazy adventures all over the galaxy, why the fuck isn't he helping the Rebel Alliance then? All right. It's going to strain that. Yeah. A bit. But if he's not, then if all this fucking weird, cool, crazy adventure, like television show worthy shit is happening on Tatooine, you know, then okay. Why the fuck hasn't the Empire found him yet? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a delicate balance. And I'm wondering yes. how they're going to, how they're going to, it's a good cast though. See, and I'm interested to see what they do with, with Hayden. And I'm interested to see what yes. they do with all these other characters. I'm just... It, so, so the, the sound kind of cut out then. Um, I don't know if the people heard. So Aiden, Aiden Christensen, Aiden Christensen. Is, is returning, uh, presumably to play Anakin, Stroke, Daff, Vader. Um, but yeah, will it, be, will it be playing some kind of flashback version that Obi-Wan's meditating and sort of um, gets flashbacks of his time with young Anakin or... Will, he actually, will we actually be seeing Aiden Christensen as Darth Vader, sort of side by side with Obi Wan? Like, who knows? Who knows how they're going to do it? Um, my my issue with the TV show in general is that the way it's been sort of left off in the actual film universe, and when it has been sort of uh, mentioned, you know, when Obi Wan like pops up in uh, Rebels and stuff like that, is it's always been established that Obi Wan went to Tatooine to watch over young Luke, but also to sort of meditate on this new force power of, you know, don't die, turn into a force ghost and all the rest of it. And it's always been like, right, so he's in this like meditation retreat for 20 years or however long it is. It's like, well, his look's supposed to be about 16, something like that in New World. But, 19. 19, is it now? Um, so I've seen that many different versions of how old he's supposed to be, and like the different concepts out stages and things like that as well as I went along. But yeah, so, so yeah, it's meant to be like one long meditation retreat is how it's been set up previously. So, so for them to like, come at it and now say, oh no, he's doing all these adventures as well. It's like, well, first of all, it's breaking the character because having him have like this meditation retreat for two decades, that turns him into like, you know, a proper like monk, like a proper spiritual dude. So to then turn around and say, oh no, he's having all these other adventures, it's like, oh, so he's not the monk, he's not this spiritual dude. It's like, yeah, it could be a warrior monk kind of thing, but it's like you say, if he's going off on all these other adventures, then how come the, the Empire don't see him? And it's like, well, what is it? Is he adventure dude or is he monk dude? What's what's going on? Because at the moment he's established in canon as a spiritual monk dude, and that's how we all like him. That's the Obi one that we know from the original films. So, um, so for them to like come back and change it now is a bit. I don't know. Depends bit, when they set it. Depends yeah, when they set it. It's sort of a, it's still sort of retconning an established character, you know. And I don't know. It'd be nice to see. You and McGregor back in it. It's nice to see a bit more content and all the rest of it, but I don't know. I feel like I would have rather just seen a new character, new stories of a new character, rather than going back and retconning what we know about an existing character. Um, which is part of my issue with the prequel series as well is, you know, Darth Vader was an interesting character. The concept of he was once a Jedi and he'd fallen as a Jedi was interesting. Seeing young Anakin on the in the films at least wasn't necessarily as interesting as you know, as what was, uh, you know, what was implied or what, you know, we as fans inferred from, you know, watching all the expanded universe stuff in the old Star Wars, you know, before the prequels. 
but having said that, it was kind of interesting in the Clone Wars. I think that nailed the, you know, the young Jedi that could have been. But I'm talking about specifically the films, and that's why the films, and a part of what left a sour taste for me from the prequels was that we're taking this established character, and it's like, that's what you're doing with him. It's like, uh, it was a lot better if you just like left leave it to the audience imagination on this one because we've had 30 years to think on it. You know, it's, it's different if it's like a serialized thing and. It's like, okay, this week, here's a character, he's a baddie. And then next week, we get a flashback to what it was like when he was younger. That's a different thing. That's part of an ongoing series. But when we had, like, you know, 25, 30 years before the prequels actually came out, that's a long time. We grew up with these characters and, you know, and the backstories in our imaginations and all the rest. So if you're going to go back and show us what it was beforehand, you've got to really fucking show what's amazing about them and, you know, you know blow it out of the water and knock our socks off, whatever expression you want to use. So... I think it's a it's a bit dangerous to then go back to Obi Wan and sort of say we're going to do it again. And it's like, are you okay? I mean, the thing Thanks is, I okay. So first off, I have no problems with the prequels really um, because I grew up with them, so I, I yeah. don't have the same attachment to the originals and that sort of thirty years of inertia for the characters. So I quite like Anakin's story in that as a sort of like Greek tragedy kind I mean, of thing. I think it works been, quite well. It would have been better, but Aidan Christensen is a terrible actor. He was no. woefully, oh yeah, he's woefully miscast. No, his delivery of almost every line is like cringe. That's a, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. So I'm going to sort of disagree with you there. That is a directing thing, right? You're talking about an actor who, when he's not, okay, sounds bad to say when he's not talking. Okay, okay, but, right. Then his performance is not great on screen then. Whatever. But the point is that as a lead star, he did not hold, you know, he did not have star quality on the screen in the films. Now, whether you want to put it on him, the actor, or the director, which I agree, the director should have said, no, I want you to give more whatever for that particular scene. You know, when he's angry, he doesn't sound angry, he sounds whiny. It's like, no, make it more guttural. You need to be angry. Shout at it, not say, it's, you know, so the director should be there saying, which by all accounts, um, when you look at the behind the scenes stuff, George really just wanted them in the right place, saying the right lines. And then it's like the rest of it was like, right, CGI, I'll move you around and make sure you're in the right place. Um, sorry. So if I may, if I may continue. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is, this is his bugbear, ladies and gentlemen, and others. And others. Uh, he doesn't like the prequels. Um, but yeah, so, but no, like from my perspective, leaving all of anyone's problems with the prequels aside, that's George Lucas's right to do that in a way, because that's George Lucas's baby. He created that. All right. And if nothing else, it's thematically appropriate. Well, no, when you sit, okay. When you sit down and watch the entire like six films of the Lucas stuff. All right. That's at least thematically, it all comes together because Lucas at the very least has known what he wants from these oh, characters. Roughly I speaking. I disagree with that. Um, I it's because there's a huge tonal shift between what's on screen with the original series, the original trilogy, and what's on screen. And I'm not talking about CGI and stuff. I'm talking about you know design choices and color palettes and all the rest of it. And the fact that the original trilogy was you know specifically designed to look like a lived-in universe and all the rest. And then you come out with the prequels and you've got the super shiny Naboo ship and it's like a completely different visual. Thing. Yeah, but no, no, but what you've got to consider about that is, yeah, of course there's a tonal shift. Of course we're now amongst super shiny because back in like the original trilogy era. No, no, what right? I mean is it looks like a prop. No, it's made no, no, to look no. real in the original trilogies and then it comes back and things look like props. 
it looks like it's like fresh manufactured out of the box. And I know these arguments, we're not here to talk about those arguments at the moment. Okay, so my point is, I'm not talking about the design. Thematically, we're talking about the story, all right? The tragedy of Anakin Skywalker is pretty cohesive. Like, opinions may vary, but for me, it's pretty cohesively told in six films, the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. It's better, admittedly, when you watch it in stuff like The Machete Order, where, you know, you can preserve the surprise of who Darth Vader is and stuff. But fundamentally, what you've got is the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker in six parts featuring his son who redeems him. All right. And thematically, that stuff fits quite nicely. And thematically, Obi-Wan Kenobi fits in quite nicely in that, in the role that he's meant to play. It all fits together quite neatly. I don't trust Disney to fit stuff into that story without messing it up somehow. I just don't. Right. The well, sequel, okay. Personally, I do not see the, um, I do not see it as, you know, thematically cohesive as you do. So um, that's a different conversation, though, that we're, um, I don't want to spiral into that Star Wars conversation, especially this late in a particular episode of a podcast. But um, we'll, we'll have to disagree on that one and perhaps we'll touch on it again in another conversation. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. But uh, yeah, let's say we disagree on that one for various reasons. But, but even, um, even, okay, even if you disagree, though, I trust George Lucas a hell of a lot more than I trust some random fucking focus group suit. All right? Well, the Mandalorian is great well, the because the, the Mandalorian is, has the creative... You know. uh, the, the problem is why I disagree with that as well is because everything that George Lucas said was, <sighs> over the years, has been a lie that he's double-backed on at some point. He's consistently said... This is the thing, and it's always meant to be this one, and then until he brings out another character that's different, and then says, oh, no, it's always meant to be this. And, you know, I'm just saying that because I didn't think I'd get to do it, and the blah, blah. And he keeps changing the thing, and he changes what it is, and then he goes back to it and says, oh, it was always meant to be this. And he's, he's always changing what it is himself. And even when you look at the making of a particular, like Phantom Menace, for example, you see him swapping and changing stuff as he's going along. So he'd be like, I mean, fine, it's his overall vision, and he's going for the overall end vision, but... um. I, I don't think he has an actual vision. The, the, I don't think he has the clear vision in his head that he likes to put across to the public that he has. That's all I'll say on, on that one. I mean, from my perspective, I still think, okay. Granted, he doesn't have the clearest vision of what he wants to achieve, maybe. Granted, it, it chops and changes as he goes along, all right? But it's still fundamentally... The best no, way no, to put I it, it, I do get what you're saying, though. No, but here's the thing. So, it's still fundamentally this is the this is the George Lucas touch. Yeah, you know, this is, okay, which is fundamentally a different beast to, you know, whatever they're going to get the Disney suits to come up with. Yeah. which I don't I don't trust that in in the slightest because yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, say what you like about George Lucas, but you've seen things you've never seen before. He pushed the technology. He pushed the, what films can do with all six of the original Star Wars films. All six of them, he yeah, pushed the, what films can yes, do. And the, frankly... The technology, frankly, no, well, well, the technology side of it, yes, it's the creative side of what did he do with the technology. That's why I have issue with the actual yeah, creative but, but, choices of what was done. Uh, my, anyway. <laughs> anyway, shall we, shall we leave it there before we start getting all... <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I do agree with you, though, that... The, the, what we've seen of the Disney trilogy, you know, the sequel trilogy. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. And so if it's that sort of tone, then no, thank you. If it's Mandalorian tone, then yes, please give me more of that. 
But when I was thinking about going back and, and retconning it, that's what I'm talking about, is that if it was George Lucas doing this, and it was back when George Lucas had Lucasfilm and he was making the Star Wars, if he'd come off the back of the prequel trilogy and said, we're going to do a, an Obi-Wan series, I'd have been like, yeah, cool, I'm all for that. But it's like now, it's like, what, another 20 years since the last made, or nearly 20 years since they made the last of the prequels. So now these are other people doing it with the characters, and they're going to be, this is why I'm saying that, they're going to be going back and retconning it because it's them going back, mm. and it's these other people putting in their version of this character. Well, this is my problem with it, though, is that the thing is, say what you like about George Lucas going back and retconning, right? But there are some things for George Lucas which he's always sort of kept, like, remarkably solid, you know? So, for example, uh, what the Force is and what balance the Force is and what light and dark mean, all right? Whereas you come to stuff like Last Jedi and suddenly, oh, balance is where light and dark are about. No, no, that's never what balance of the Force means, all right? In Star Wars, balance of the Force is the light side is the balance to the force. The dark side is an unbalancing effect. All right. And that's why the dark side has to be destroyed because the dark side is this unnatural corruptive power that unbalances the light side. It's a Christian, like it's, it's tied up in, in terms taken from Eastern mythology, but it's fundamentally a Christian-esque morality tale of good versus evil. All right. And one thing that's going to fucking bother me is if these same Disney people who want to take that idea of balance and ooh, light and dark have to be equal they come into it for example and they're all like oh no obi-wan is gonna learn that it's all about balancing the light and the dark no fuck off that's not what it's about yeah. and that's certainly not what Ob and that's certainly not what obi-wan fucking kenobi would believe you know so that worries the fuck out of me like i can almost take luke skywalker starting to believe that shit you know in the miserable depressed luke skywalker of last jedi fair enough i suppose if you were that kind of character you might start thinking that way but it worries me that this is the attitude that they seem to have to the force at, at Lucasfilm now. And it worries me that like the fundamental yeah. mythology, the fundamental mythology is going to be twisted to fit what they think rather than fitting, you know, the admittedly flawed, but still singular vision of the man who created it. You know, I'm going to have to look at who it is specifically that's um, writing the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. That's something I've not really looked at their, their back catalogue. See what they've done before, what they brought to the table. So yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to look into that in a bit more detail. And also, I think it is still early doors. Obviously, they're not releasing anything as yeah. yet. So it's pure speculation. I'll be but, interested uh, to see. I'll be interested to see if Indira Varma isn't playing Luminara Unduli. Because just really randomly, because Luminara Unduli uh, is very British in the Clone <laughs> Wars series, and Indira Varma is obviously a British actress. So I would be interested to see her as Luminara Unduli for example. You know, just a random tangent there. But, you know, I, I think that would be a really good piece of casting. I think that would really pull that across. Okay. Just a random tangent there. And on that random tangent, it's time for us to wrap up. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, we are obviously on Facebook and we are on uh, various podcasty sites and stuff. And we're yeah. also on YouTube. So if you're listening to this on the podcasty sites, we are on YouTube. Just look up The Fifth Observatory. If you're watching this on YouTube, firstly, hello, sorry about the ugly faces. And secondly, uh, obviously, all of the details about our Facebooks and stuff are in the description below. So please go and check that out and stuff. Um, we are also on Twitter. So I am at Jed was here, where I mostly tweet about random inane bullshit that comes to my head. Yeah, and I'm at AK Treasure One, where I also tweet about random inane bullshit that comes into my head. But because please. that's what Twitter's for! 
But please come and join the conversation. And so we're on Facebook at the Fifth Observatory, obviously. So uh, please you know, follow, leave a comment, tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to talk about as well, because, you know, we talk about what we want to talk about. If you hate what we're talking about, then it's not going to get any better, because that's what we like talking about. But, you know. Yeah, but if you, you know, if you have any recommendations for yeah. shit, we should go watch, you know. So one thing that I'm sort of eager to talk about at some point is I, I'm going to go back and watch. First off, I'm going to watch all of Invincible, because I want to yeah. talk about that next time. And I encourage you to do the same. Um, but also, I'm going to go watch again because uh, they're on YouTube. Don't tell anyone about it being on YouTube. We're not, we're not condoning piracy. But I'm going to go watch uh, Sadako versus Kayako and uh, Bushin Saba versus Sadako as well um, because I, I want to watch those again because some of the stuff that I'm writing is, you know, a bit horror movie-esque and I want to, I want to you know, see what I can learn from that. But yeah. that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. So, uh, yeah. But apart from that, it's been lovely having everybody on. Uh, sorry for our voices, etc. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, take care, everybody. See ya. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>